Hey guys, Matt Dyson here. Welcome to Australian Survivor Archives. Now, you're probably wondering why you're not hearing Ben's voice right now, and that's because unfortunately I'm not able to make today's episode. So I thought I'd just jump on quickly and just let you know look, it's been fantastic going back, reliving season two, Celebrity Australian Survivor. I've had a great time, all the interviews, all the recaps, and we've had a lot of fun. Even that reunion episode, awesome. But Ben has got a special guest today and the one and only David Oldfield. So don't worry, I might not be there, but you've got the legendary David Oldfield filling my uh, shoes. And they're big shoes to fill. I'm not talking myself up, but they are pretty big shoes to fill. Because let's be honest, this is the first ASA episode I've missed. But just keep a listen out here because you're going to hear my picks for the 12 celebrities that I think would make for a modern-day celebrity survivor. So keep your ears out. I hope you enjoyed today's wrap-up episode. And until next season, see you all later. to Australian Survivor Archives, the only podcast going over the complete history of Australian Survivor from Whaler's Way right through to the current day. It's a bit of a sad episode today. It's our finale of Season 2, Celebrity Survivor from 2006. We've had a blast covering this season, a very unique season of Australian Survivor and one that we have enjoyed bringing you recaps and interviews and everything else in between. And just like the season has been unique, today's episode is also going to be unique because for the first time in 60 episodes, I'm by myself. Well, kind of. My esteemed co-host, the Mr. Bald himself, Matt Dyson, is unfortunately unavailable for recording this one today. So I am by myself in the hosting chair, but that doesn't mean I'm by myself on this episode. I'll first of all start off by saying my name is Ben Waterworth, just in case you don't know who I am. But I'm going to introduce the more important person right now who's going to help close out season two with me and a person who was on season two. So we've gone out of the way to make sure we've got someone who, if we're the expert sitting in a chair watching this, he's bigger expert because he played this game and let's be honest probably should have won the damn thing he is known more so as the master tactician the lord mayor of the jungle the puppet master the master chef the seventh wonder of the ancient world or potentially by his actual name it's mr david oldfield david first of all welcome back to australian survivor archives well thank you and kind of you to have me i'm just i'm just I'm dismayed, I must say, that the video of this will never be seen. It'll only be audio because if I do say so myself, I'm looking remarkably good. You really um, are. In, in fact, I, I, I probably look quite a bit like George Clooney's father. Hey, I, so, I, I would have said George Clooney's son, but uh, you can go with father if you, if you want to. Uh, I mean, but you are looking, you're scrubbing up all right, David, you know. I intentionally didn't shave for a few days, so I had that survival look. But anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
Next time, next time. <laughs> we'll put clothes on next time for that one. But uh, it's, Oh, clothes. Was I supposed to be wearing clothes? Yeah, no, well, I mean, I, that's where I was looking at the impressive thing there, David. So oh, well, I don't know. well yeah. yeah, I mean, you you can only see me from the waist up. So, I mean, you, I do have <laughs> the rig. pants it's, on. It's, it's, it's going there. Yeah, sure, sure, exactly. Uh, but here to wrap up the season, and we did this for, for season one, kind of just really – summarising the season, talking about a few things. We've got some listener questions. We've got a prize to give away today, a fun little project, which Matt has still been involved in slightly with this one and some other quickfire questions. But one thing I'd like to ask you, David, just to begin with, and I'm not sure if you, you listened to any of our other interviews or saw anything else that we had going up there, but we talked about this with you on your interview. It's your favourite reality show you've done. You've done a few of these. It's something that clearly you hold to high regard 15 years later, but... In, in being able to talk about it again 15 years later, has this kind of, I guess, opened up something inside of you where you've been reliving these memories and you've been glad to have this opportunity to speak these stories, speak opinions, catch up with some of the cast members from the reunion the other week, kind of things along those lines? Look, I've enjoyed, um, you know, doing what I've been doing with you guys. It was nice to sort of uh, do the reunion thing. Um Otherwise, I'd be fairly neutral on it. Uh, you know, I, I maintain the position of, of having you know, great memories of Survivor, and it was without question, as I've said before, and I'll reiterate that it's without question the standout best reality show that I did, and I've done five, so I've, I've had a, a reasonable level of experience with them. But, um, no, it, it hasn't surfaced anything for me particularly. It's, it's probably reminded me of the things that I learned um, and the necessity of putting those things you know, further into practice as our society changes around us and continues to do so. Um, so it's been beneficial, I think, beneficial in, in, a, in a couple of senses um, going through this and talking with you guys and all of that. But there's been nothing negative about it at all. It's all been good as far as I'm concerned. And in seeing people in the reunion, you, know, you obviously mentioned, I believe you had a bit of a conversation with Guy recently, sort of people that you, what, I guess hadn't talked to in, in quite some time, right? So, I mean, it must have been kind of interesting to to have these conversations. I know, obviously, we talked a bit about you being involved with Dicko on another reality show, but, I mean, these are obviously people that you went out there, you had some fun with in Vanuatu and getting this chance, like, how you doing, Guy? How you doing, Justin? Sort of, and, and being able to see them again. It's kind of odd in this sense, and I've, I've, this is something I've never relayed before, and I've never relayed this before, but it's kind of odd in that I did expect that a couple of us would probably be lifelong friends as a consequence of doing Survivor together because it, it seemed like it might be that kind of bonding-type exercise, but it certainly didn't work that way for me. Um, I didn't find myself trying to stay in contact with anybody afterwards, and I didn't find anybody trying to stay in contact with me either or that I'm aware of. I did have a couple of emails with, um, with Soldier Ben. Um, I don't particularly remember why, but I did afterwards have a couple of emails with, with Soldier Ben. And, of course, I did speak to Guy and I saw him a couple of times because, you know, we're locals. We live very close to each other. And so I bumped him a few times. But people like Elton and all that, I thought I'd probably stay friendly with for a long time, but it just never really happened. And I find that... Un unusual it was sort of I, I don't want to present myself in any way like a soldier returning from war but I, I know that a lot of soldiers um, after World War II didn't maintain contact with their friends at all mm. they just disappeared from one another and certainly lots of stories that I've read um, have also made that very very clear 
uh, I'm not putting us on the level of what we went through as being like being in a war. It was nothing at all like that. The stress was nothing anywhere near like that. And I feel foolish now the fact that I've even raised it on the idea that somebody might think I'm somehow equating that. But it, it did seem odd to me that we didn't really stay in contact or not many of us did and we certainly didn't as a group. It's, it's fascinating to hear that because as a fan of US Survivor, you know, I love hearing when you've got sort of old, old school players from like the very beginning in the early 2000s who have maintained relationships and friendships over the years, but there are definitely some that fall away. And when we did the Channel 9 season one, the majority of those people had not spoken to each other since that. And that's now 20 years old, their season. And so for us bringing them, they were kind of excited to catch up with these people because I, I see the comparisons you're saying. You do share an experience that is very unique you know, when do you get to be sent out to Vanuatu and live off the land for 25 days and, and those sort of situations. So you do have those moments. And as we know with Survivor, all the things we don't see on camera, you're sitting on a beach for hours on end talking about things that, you know, you've got nothing else to do, right? So you are bonding with these people in a way that you just wouldn't be able to do in modern day, particularly with technology and everything. So uh, is there one that, like, I mean, you're going through a list of those people there, but is there maybe one that you thought, was most surprising that like one that maybe you wished you had of somehow stayed in contact with the most was it Elton you kind of alluded to Elton a little yeah, bit I, Elton is the one that sort of surprised me but you know in fairness I didn't really know how to contact Elton and I didn't try and get in contact with him I, I probably would have tried later after we'd been back for a while but it, it did kind of surprise me I, I thought that Elton and I might have stayed in contact but that didn't happen from either of our points of view. So it's all a bit strange. I suppose when you'd really drill down into it, whilst it should have been a bonding exercise, we were actually all against each other uh, yeah. in the end. So I, mean, I suppose we were, we were rivals, um, even though at times it seemed like we were on the same tribe, you know. Which it's also interesting talking about emailing Soldier Ben. If you ever do track up those old email addresses, maybe he's got, I mean, I've got the same email address as I had back in 2006, so you never know. Uh, he might still use it. So. Yeah, no, but I, don't, I don't send it. I've I trawled through it extensively when you guys were looking for him before and I don't have any record of anything I ever sent to him. So I've got a feeling that it may have been um, my old parliamentary um, address right. because I was okay. still a member of parliament at the time when we came back. Yep. That's the only thing I can explain. Otherwise, my address is the same as it was in those days, but my parliament yeah. address wouldn't be. It, or maybe he's just that skilled as an SAS guy that he can make them disappear. He's just yeah. He's no, I don't weird. think their skills run to, um, <laughs> to hacking, <laughs> yeah, except perhaps with a with a knife. <laughs> yeah. Well. 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 Exactly. But often, like what we're really going to cover on this episode, of course, is just going over some final things. We'll give you some. Uh, chance to, and, and this is also a chance for you to give some opinions on certain things that we've talked about across this season as well and kind of really wrap it up because as we've said throughout all of this, Matt and I have talked at length, it's it's the most unique season of Australian Survivor. It's, it's the most forgotten about season of Australian Survivor. It, there's so many levels to it. And we didn't even know coming, coming into this how we would cover it. We honestly thought we would be lucky to get a handful of you on for interviews. We've been lucky enough to speak to seven of you across this season, which uh, we're very honoured to be able to, to, to do and kind of learn, learn about it. But I guess a question I have for you, David, as somebody who played it and, and I guess also somebody who I'm sure enjoyed it when you watched it, might be tricky to answer because obviously I don't really know how much then you've kept up to date with Survivor afterwards. 
what would you say the legacy of your season really is on the grand scheme of things? Does it have a a legacy, you know, does it contribute to this sort of overall Australian franchise of an Australian survivor? Yeah, I don't know that it has any kind of legacy in the sense that we're probably putting it, I mean, it was entertainment. Um, and for the most part, it was a group of people who were um, sort of C-list public figures. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, some of them even less than that these days, myself included. I mean, we're all pretty much has-beens these days. Um, some of us were uh, never, never were, and the rest of us are certainly has-been. So I don't know if it has any sort of legacy. I think probably um, what is true about it is what you already noted is that it's, it's so forgotten. I would think that it probably rated better than the other Australian survivors, from what I could tell. I know that it started with a, a, uh, an audience of about 1.4 million, which today would be massive for any television show because people are watching Netflix and Stan and, of course, Prime and everything else. But And I think the worst episode we had was about 900,000. So it actually rated, it wasn't a, a massive rating hit at the time, but it was moderately successful in that sense. Um, so the fact that it's been largely ignored is probably unfortunate, but I would think and I'm sure you know better than I do, that that's probably because diehard survivor people just don't take it seriously because it was, you know, celebrities in inverted commas. Which is the problem with your season and the fans is that you're right. Like they've never considered this to be a real season. Even the people who can maybe slightly acknowledge that season one from Channel 9 in 2002 exists, they will often just completely ignore the season. Because as we know, the story behind your season was that Channel 7 found the loophole in the Survivor yeah. contract in that you don't you can do a celebrity version without breaching Channel 9's contract that they have with Survivor. So that's why it came about. But my argument always is, it's got the word Survivor on it. It's got the same rules. It's produced by Castaway Television. If it quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's a duck. It's Survivor. You all played within the, the realms of the rules, you you did what you were given in front of you. You survived. You slept on the land. You did challenges. You won immunities. So to me, it counts. And I can understand why fans sometimes don't like it because the history with Australian Survivor is, is that the, ma the majority of Australian Survivor fans only acknowledge Channel 10 because, like, finally they did it right. So let's ignore what came before it. And that's, in my eyes, not right because that takes away from what we've got. And, and I'm not just saying this to suck up to you because you're on the line, but I would still say that yourself, Imogen, you know, Guy, bring you back and you're going to bring the same value you brought back in 2006 to Modern Survivor. Um, and the one thing I'll say, the legacy, I've, I've, I firmly stand by the fact that your season almost becomes more relevant because when Channel 10 started doing their Champions vs. Contenders seasons, they literally are bringing in celebrities uh, and the same amount of people too, because of course they've got a cast of 24. So a celebrity, uh, you know, their champions tribe is 12 people, exactly the same amount of people that you've got in your season. So I almost feel channel 10 inadvertently makes your season relevant. And we also know that they did because they invited Guy Leach to come back for all stars. So therefore, <laughs> thanks channel 10 for making your season, maybe out of the old two classic versions of Australian survivor, the most relevant. So that, that would be my, I said no, obviously. He well he he said he was interested, um, but and they want he wanted to talk more about it, but they never actually came back to him 
And it was more of a case of like, he also didn't know whether if they went through with it, he would have been able to where he was at his life. But because he first told that story, he did an interview with uh, David Janat, the Golden God, winner of Australian Survivor All-Stars. And he brought that up. And then, yeah, in our interview with him a couple of weeks ago, he he elaborated and that it was for All-Stars, um, which, look, our argument has always been, I don't think All-Stars is ever relevant until they consider people from your season and season one. Because um, we're literally about to see that on Big Brother next year. They are doing a, a sort of a half All-Stars for uh, the Channel 7 version, and they are bringing back Channel 9 and Channel Seven, uh, Channel 10 people. So Channel 7 are acknowledging that there was two other versions on two different networks. Channel 10 should probably be doing the same. But anyway, that's a yeah, look, I think you've made, you've made all the good points as to why it is relevant anyway, and that is that you know we slept on the ground, we did all the, the hard yards, we played under the same rules. I mean, even as recently as only a week ago, you know, I had some people here having a look at something and, um, and it was pouring with rain. And they, as we went outside, they said, you want an umbrella? And I said, no, I did Survivor. I'm used to getting wet. Mm. Um, and it is like that. I mean, doing Survivor, whilst I was used to spending lots of time in the jungle anyway because of my interests, particularly in World War II, and I've roamed the jungles of whole, you know, very interesting places right across the Pacific, you know, from Saipan to Palau to, you know, the Solomon Islands and, Bougainville and all these sorts of places where I've roamed the jungles. Even though I'd done all of that, Survivor, you know, got me completely through any considerations that I ever had concern-wise for spiders and snakes and bugs and a whole range of things because you just become a bit, you know, numb to it all. You know, nothing along those lines has even the vaguest concern for me. And it was probably really Survivor that, you know, did that mostly. So, you made all the points. We did what we were supposed to do, the celebrity attachment. And, you know, we're very vague celebrities, I think, in many respects anyway. I don't like the word myself and don't apply it to myself. You've made all the good points why it should be considered and should be seen the same as the others. And we, and we know with this show that it's it's never going to be a consensus in Australian Survivor fandom that it will be accepted. Even if next year Channel 10 were like, we're doing All-Stars 2, we're bringing back David Oldfield, we're bringing back Guy Leach, we're bringing Imogen, we're bringing back Katie Gold, we're bringing back, uh, you know, Craig, Shona. Like, even then the fans would complain. They'd be like, oh, why are they bringing them back? That doesn't count. That's blah, blah, blah. It's just, with a, with a weird context, um, you know, and I won't, like, just let me let me preface this, what I'm about to say right now, David. Are you a, are you a Spider-Man fan? Are you going to be seeing the new Spider-Man or you don't give a shit? Couldn't give a toss. Okay, great, cool. Right now, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, skip forward maybe two or three minutes because I'm going to spoil it for you. To me, it's kind of like what they've just done with Spider-Man. So you've got this brand new era of Spider-Man, which they're doing with the MCU. You've got Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but in the latest Spider-Man, they've literally brought back both the two older Spider-Mans, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, from previous franchises and connected them all in a great way. So you could do it with Survivor. Do what they did with Spider-Man. Very well, weird want, comparison. <laughs> what I want to know is what they're going to do with James Bond because whilst I yeah. haven't seen the last few James Bond movies, I'm, I'm under the impression, I'm sure I read somewhere, that they killed him off. Well, again, Skip, if you haven't seen No Time to Die, but you're right, he, he literally dies at the very end of No Time to Die. So you're right. You're absolutely right. So that so. must mean that they're planning on a complete new change of direction. So we're going to get something ridiculous like Idris Elba or whatever his name is. 
He's too um, old. The problem with Idris Elba isn't the colour of his skin. It's that he's too old. He's the same age as Daniel Craig. So, like, oh, I mean, okay. yes, so, that's the well, problem. No, but, but there would, <laughs> the problem partly would be the colour of his skin because that's not who 007 is. But if they were to kill off 007, which is what they've done, they could introduce him or anybody as just a new agent and then you wouldn't be stuck with the issues of, well, but that's not 007. Well, uh, great segue right now. If you like what we give you on Australian Survivor Archives, listen to our sister show, 007, our James Bond podcast, and you can hear us talk. We'll get you on there, David. You can talk well, about We're probably going to have 008 shortly. Yeah, exactly. And 008's probably going to be a bisexual female. <laughs> you know. I, I, I'm not touching that one. Um, one thing, actually, I really want to quickly ask you, because I don't think we asked you this back on your interview. You've done I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, often compared to as the celebrity version of Survivor that. What's tougher, I'm a Celebrity or Survivor? Oh, there was nothing tough about I'm a Celebrity. Only a person who had not done um, Survivor could think that I'm a Celebrity was tough at all. It was camp beds. Hmm. You know, it was all constructed when you get there. You don't build anything yourself. And we, I say we had like fold away like stretches, you know, raised off the ground and, and bed coverings and I think we had sleeping bags. We either had sleeping bags or some other kind of covering. So there was no there was no privations where any of these things were concerned. I mean, we were supplied with toothpaste and toothbrushes and and we had a, um, you know, it was a thunderbox type hole in the ground toilet. But, you know, we had toilets to go to and, and no one was going to go hungry. Um, so, no, it's I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. It's just a, a question of, having to do crazy things like have spiders tipped on your head or, you know, crawl through a cave filled with snakes and, and that sort of stuff. The actual privations and difficulties and potential starvation and cold and wet and everything else that one would experience in Survivor. Um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of there. It doesn't go anywhere near that. It doesn't even get to that. You might be, and again, I'm sorry if there's a, a an old, UK Survivor contestant who went on to their version because I think America did it for like one or two seasons but it didn't stick around. But you might be the only person to have ever played both. Possible. No, it's possible, I suppose. Well, at least started on Survivor and went, I'm a celebrity. I'm, I don't know if we're going to get an I'm a celebrity guest to go on uh, Survivor the other way around. I know obviously Channel 10 have them both, so they potentially could do that. But, um, I, I mean, I can't think of any other Australian uh, I don't really watch I'm a Celebrity. I, I think when you were on it, I paid attention because I'm like, oh, cool, David Oldfield. I, I, if you're on something, anything connected to Survivor, I'll generally watch it. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's been any others. Uh, no, I, I don't watch it either. In fact, I don't even watch free-to-air television. Yeah. So I don't see any of these things, um, any at all. Uh, but, yeah, I certainly I wouldn't watch I'm a Celebrity. I the mean, thing the, that- the other one that I enjoyed second to Survivor was Hell's Kitchen. Hmm. Which I actually, that's another one I remember watching you on because my dad loves that show and I remember being here and sitting on the couch with, with dad and my dad's like, oh, I love David, he's great. Like, you know, he's always good for television and stuff like that. They so left my- so much of my best stuff off though mm. because, you know, they, it was a very manipulated program and they certainly didn't want to portray, portray me as having a, a you know dry sense of humour or anything, which I, which I naturally do. So they all my best lines were just all left out. The, the one thing we love talking about you and I, we probably touched on this a little bit in your interview, but clearly Channel 7 have cast you because you're the controversial David Oldfield. You're I from One villain. Nation. Yeah, yeah, like, but, like, you never were that way. I mean, the most evil thing you did was at the end you did a slit throat gesture, uh, which I'd say was completely valid. It was great TV. But do you, did you feel 
like, did they try and kind of, I guess, prompt you to be that guy, to be that, or was that just something they never did out there or, or like, you on know, Survivor. you never felt? Yeah, on Survivor. No, no, we were never prompted to do anything at all. Uh, that was the But even, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll interrupt myself and yourself there, but, like, in terms of when they're casting you, are they saying, like, we, like, we're casting you because we think you'll bring this to the table or anything like that? Yeah, they, they, they certainly, they wanted me because I was a politician and there was the notion that a politician would manipulate and probably play a bit dirty and all that sort of stuff because, you know, politicians have such dreadful reputations, which I must say are for the most part earned hmm. um, and real and genuine. Um, I, I was never, you know, here I am about to say, but I'm different. You know, I was, I was never the run-of-the-mill sort of person to go into politics um, that you would expect in many respects. So they were certainly looking for the notion of a person who might be conniving and I didn't demonstrate being conniving at all on Survivor. Not at all. And in fact, you know, not being conniving enough may have helped me, you know, become undone. But um, yeah, they were. They were. There was certainly an expectation that I would be something of a an unpopular figure. But you um, like you weren't, and this is the thing. I want to bring this up because I've got a lot of these forums open, which is a real time capsule to kind of look back what people are saying, but. In these forums, David, you're loved. Like these people, everyone's saying like, we want you to win. We, we, we love David. And like, this is what we love talking about you throughout this is that you're all brought into this show for a variety of reasons. And like, clearly you're brought in for that. And because they, they definitely market you like as the One Nation guy. So it's kind of like straight away, oh, people hear the words One Nation. Oh, okay. You know, so, but like at no point were you ever evil well, i'm not saying you're evil in, in outside of that but like it's just the way they market it at which is it's 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 fascinating and this is going into my point when i was saying about if you were to come back and a lot of people from your season i mean since celebrity survivor the only politicians we've seen on the channel 10 one i mean technically nova paris because obviously i know her more as an olympian but of course she went into politics afterwards um and then we've just had on the uh brains was she an olympian? wasn't she a reserve hockey player who ran on for a minute and got a medal anyway uh she was part of the hockey ruse that we had won gold in atlanta and then she became a runner so she then was a, a track and field person for sydney uh, so she kind of switched gears. But um, yeah, we had um, George, who was a political advisor in Brains vs. Brawns, and he ended up being runner-up. So it's it's kind of like in the American Survivor we had, my favourite uh, player of all time is a guy by the name of Brian Heideck. He won season five. He was a used car salesman. And yeah. to me, there are certain professions which kind of just work in Survivor. Like a used car salesman is going to be good at Survivor. A politician is going to be good at Survivor. Um, and pretty good track record. I mean, Nova didn't make it that far, but I mean, yourself, you obviously get to, uh, you know, right at the very end, fifth, George becomes runner up. Um, you would have thought that Nova, you know, being in being Aboriginal and all that sort of stuff, would have known all about living she, off the land. I and think all she just got a raw end I'm, of the deal. She like I'm she. Being, I'm being I'm being facetious. So yeah. Think, <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm not touching it, David. I'm not touching it. But it's 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 more of a case. She got it like she didn't do anything wrong. She just kind of was on the wrong end of the numbers essentially, and she uh, she she went instead. But I think like I just want to go on to the fan reaction because. Even when it was released, I got there's a post here. So this old website, which is a, a very famous website called SurvivorSucks.com, it was a prominent forum back in the day to talk about US Survivor, and there's sort of these archive posts from the Channel Nine season and your season. And the the very first post in here 
is basically they're talking about the um, the launch of the season. So they've got a link to, and it doesn't work anymore, the old website that was on Yahoo 7. And a post here by the name of Eskimo Joe, to really date this, remember Eskimo Joe, good band, uh, this series actually looks fair dinkum. Fair bit of info on the website, including the pleasure machine. Check out the video section in the top right if you missed tonight's sneak peek. Looking forward to this one. To which somebody replied, thanks, EJ. looks like it's all starting to happen. So far, it looks a lot better effort than the site Channel 9 put up for their version. And then somebody getting really excited for Bobby, uh, Nicole Dixon. uh, And then saying, I will go for Bobby and Gabrielle until I see the show and possibly change my mind. Uh, So, yeah, a bit of reaction. And for the most part, though, the fan reaction was okay. Like, it's, it's mainly like, oh, this is better than the Channel 9 one. But... As is often the case with your season, when the twist comes about, everybody hates on it, and then by the end, everyone's really, really pissed off. You might feel a, a very similar feeling to that, David, of course. But uh, do you remember, I guess, the fan reaction in terms of, you know, obviously you were in Parliament at the time, so were people, like, were you getting constituents coming to the office wanting to meet you for Survivor? Like, were you getting people talking to you at that time? And, like, what do you do? You remember what the fans were saying to you about either yourself or just the season in general when it was airing? Look, I had the general impression that um, people were a bit surprised by me, that I wasn't the way they were expecting. And that harks back to the notion of having a politician in the first place. And, you know, politicians are not going to be trusted. And I think that's a a fairly good position to come from. I don't trust politicians. I've got a few, I've got a couple that are friends that I would trust as friends. But, you know I, know, I know how the system works and it's not necessarily always the individual politician. It's the system itself, which is just filled with every every feature of corruption you could possibly find. So I, I got the impression from people that they liked what I was doing and they were kind of surprised because they weren't expecting me to be the way I was. And certainly I know, for example, some years ago when um, we were enrolling, I may have even told this story previously, when we were enrolling my eldest, who was now only 11, in a, in a school, and we had to go along, it was a, a good school, and we had to go along and have an interview to sort of get him in, you know, like they decide whether they want you in the school or not. And after the interview was over and all that sort of stuff, the um, person who was interviewing us, the deputy principal, when it was all said and done, finished night, said to me, oh, by the way, David, I just say I'm a bit of a fan. I, I loved what you did in Survivor. Right. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, and my wife and I, or my wife at the time, I'm single now for anyone listening, my <laughs> wife at the time, um, who was my only wife, I've only been married once, um, said to me, oh, well, you know, seemed to think that we got my son most particularly into the school because the, this um, deputy principal loved Survivor. Wow. So, yeah, look, I got the impression, without going on too much about it, I got the impression that people were just genuinely and generally surprised if they didn't previously know me. And people who know me are not surprised about anything, but people who, you know, people who like a friend, feel friendly towards me are never surprised. But um, certainly, you know, people who had no real knowledge of me other than what they'd seen in the media, when they saw me in Survivor, I wasn't what they were expecting. Outside of of yourself, did you hear people saying they liked it, that they wished there was another one, Uh, you know, kind of they just gave an overall thought on on the season in general at all, do you remember? Yeah, everything I got from the season from anybody that ever said anything to me about it was positive, Um, without question. I gather it was, like I said to you at the beginning of this segment that we're having, 
Um, it did moderately well in the ratings, but obviously not well enough that they decided to do it a second time. Um, but by everything that I saw, it was popular. Perhaps the thing which destroyed it doing a second time was what they did at the end mm. uh, with regards to the twist. Yeah, and that absolutely. might explain the you know like it really did have a dip in the ratings in that last the last episode was the lowest rating of all of the episodes. And I think that's an important thing to raise when it comes to the legacy of your season because that does leave a big distaste on your season. And and I stand by that that is the worst twist in the history of Australian Survivor. Uh, it, it, and it mainly to me comes down to the placement of that twist. Again, if you do that halfway through the season and not in the third last episode, then it's it's different. I just think it's terribly timed. And as we know, David Mason says he regrets it. Um, but I, I think that that is where people, you know, it's kind of like season one. Season one is remembered for the first episode, the first challenge fucking up to the point where they just couldn't do it. So they had to do a stupid trivia challenge. And then the person who voted themselves out famously did a Kim Johnson, who really technically uh, Kim Johnson did a Lucinda. Lucinda voted herself out. And then Kim, so we had this really weird, like, this is, again, the negativity of your season and season one is that both seasons had the first boot voting themselves out, which is a big no-no. You're technically not allowed to do that in proper Survivor rules. Um, so, again, there's there's all this fodder that people bash the old school seasons for. And it, it's an interesting, I found a, a comment here sort of in the lead up to your season, uh, a Survivor, Survivor Reviver, uh, a user here, said, talking just about your season, when you have a celeb edition, uh, we know a bit about each of the contestants. For instance, how many people inherently distrust David Oldfield because they know he's a politician and an accomplished wheeler and dealer? Celeb shows tend to survive more on novelty value rather than the quality of what they churn out. Witness the popularity of generally crap dance routines on Dancing with the Stars as opposed to the much lower ratings for better performances on ABC's Ballroom Dancing Program, which... Yeah, I, I get it, but I also think that if you go into a season like yours with that attitude and don't appreciate it for the product it becomes, I think then that's when you're automatically just not going to give it a chance. I didn't give your season a chance, David. I've admitted plenty of times I didn't watch your season live. I didn't watch your season maybe till, you know, 10 years later. I just, I just avoided it. Um, but when I did, I was like, okay, that's good, and... I, I still think in covering this show and everything that we've been able to do, learn from yourself and the other contestants, is that, again, going back to my point about the legacy, you played the game. That you, I mean, I'd argue that you're in the top 10 greatest Australian Survivor players of all time. I'd argue so is Imogen. You know, Justin has really come around to me in terms of what he did out there. Uh, you know, other players. And I think that there is something with your season where it just shouldn't be automatically, oh, it's a celebrity one. They didn't know what they were doing bullshit uh you knew what you were doing if you weren't david oldfield and you were just on a normal season of survivor you'd still be this, exactly the same player and i think i would still rate you exactly the same way you being who you are and slightly known beforehand has no bearing on my opinion of you as a player of survivor i object to the slightly known reference i mean i was actually quite, quite <laughs> incredibly well famous uh, now, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm less than i'm less than slightly known now <laughs> but, in fact, my, my, my um, greatest ambition for being known in the future is uh, people referring to, oh, yeah, that's, that's Teddy and Henry Oldfield's dad. 
<laughs> I want to be known by virtue of their fame for being their dad. That's what I want to be known for. Or, or you might get known as, oh, you were that guy who was on Ben Waterworth's podcast. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. Would be. I mean, with the few things that I do these days, um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, not known for terribly much. Um, and you're only as good as what you're doing currently or what you're about to do. What you've done in the past in many respects is you know, what's behind you and you're not going to be measured by that. But it is a very unfortunate thing, Ben, that people are categorised. You know, the funny thing about society is that it hates boxes and it hates putting people in boxes and all of the culture these days is to not put people in boxes, but everybody still does it. And you know, yeah. if you're a certain ilk of a person, like if you're a car salesman or a salesman in general, a real estate agent, a politician. The, journalist. You know, have a I'm view, a journalist. Yeah. Journalist. <laughs> if people have yeah. a view of where you fit, you know, and and I think about, um, you know, my dad was one of the greatest salesmen um, that this country's probably ever produced. And he went on to become the the CEO, managing director and CEO of, of the major corporation that he started in as a salesman. You know, he went right the way through over a 30-year career to get to the absolute very top of one of Australia's most successful ever companies. Should he be judged by the fact that he was a salesman? Because you, know, you wouldn't find a bloke who was more honest. He was a multiply decorated for bravery combat veteran of World War II. Mm. I mean, would you judge him on the fact that we don't trust salesmen? I mean, you couldn't. there'd be no one that could be trusted more than my father was. But there are these certain... You know, professions that everyone gets lumped in and given the circumstances of how some people in those professions act and in the case of politics, you know, I know a lot of politicians that have gone to jail for corruption. There's a lot more I know that should have gone to jail for corruption and haven't yet and probably won't. Um, by the same token, I know plenty of politicians who have been found corrupt, not gone to jail, then left politics and got a great job just like that. So no one cared that they were corrupt. Because we live in such a corrupt society. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate matter of we will never get away from putting people in boxes. We'll never get away from stereotyping. And many of the people who are most behind trying to stop that are guilty of it as much as anybody else. And I think that's a great summary. And again, even with your season being called Celebrity Survivor, right? Like it, it's, it's automatically got what we're talking about with being judged. And I guess we're guilty about it on this show. We said at the end of last season, and I said it in this episode, we didn't know how many we were gonna of you we were gonna get on because you're celebrities. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, you're not gonna want to speak to the little guy like us. But I think one thing that I've taken out of speaking to each of the people we've had on this this season of our show is that going back to our very first point, what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, is that you you hold it close to your heart. Like it's still something you like to talk about and it even if Anna Kornikova ended up doing your season. And well, there's she- some pictures of her the other day just by yeah. chance she popped up on the <laughs> She's on a news feed where she's now 40 and she put out these pictures of her with a kiss. That's on her. right. She, yeah. It was like and rare that, appearance from Anna Kornikova. I saw it, that too. Yeah. That meant that I saw a couple of pics of her. And, of course, I only just found out in that thing that we did with David Mason the other week, I wasn't aware that Anna Kornikova was ever going to be in the show. It's the first yeah. I've ever heard of it. And I thought, yeah. yeah, we really did miss out there. She'd have been much better than Gabrielle. You, you, you could have, you could have been Enrique Iglesias there. 
You never know. You could have. Um, she could have loved her Australian politicians. Um, uh, well, yeah. I probably I wouldn't have had enough money for her, but uh, <laughs> enough but Latino charm. <laughs> certainly, I have I have met and had a great deal of fun with a few Russian girls, and I don't mean that in any I don't mean that in any pornographic way. Um, they are a lot of fun, and I get the impression Anna Kornikova probably is a lot of fun, whereas. Yeah, Gabrielle Richens was kind of, yeah, she was uh, hot to look at, but not much else. Not much up there. Okay. All right. Uh, I will say um, we we had a listener recently uh, send us a message on Instagram and uh, they found Gabrielle. She's on Instagram. So um, she's running a skincare line now out of the UK. Looking great still uh, is Gabrielle. So, um, yeah. She has the right ancestral background for good skin, so... Right, that that might uh, allude to why she's doing it there. But uh, I mean, we we have obviously reached out to her uh, to see if she will come on the show. So fingers crossed, uh, we can get her on. Cause she'd be somebody I'd, we'd be very intrigued to talk to with it. W- one thing we talked a lot about last season in in wrapping it up is kind of the the marketing of the season, the promotion, and still to this day, I don't think any season has ever been marketed and promoted as much as the Channel Nine season has. Sorry, I need to back up a bit there because something I just said might be terribly uh, misunderstood if. Um if I just don't explain that, when I said that Gabrielle had the right ancestral background for good skin, um, let's let's all recognise that there are certain people from a DNA point of view who simply have better skin than others. And there are certain groups of people in different parts of the world who tend to inherit simply a better look than others. And there's no escaping those facts. One of the interesting things about skincare is that um, the person promoting it may not necessarily be a good guide to how good the products are because a lot of what your skin is is related to your genes and doing things like not smoking. So <laughs> that's what I meant when I said that. Basically, because Gabby doesn't smoke, that's what you were I, saying. I don't know if she smokes, <laughs> but she did have beautiful skin. And, you know, she is sort of, you know, she has darker skin. You know, I'm sort of medium olive, but she has dark and dark olive complexion which you know, does, depending if you look after yourself, it does tend to age better than people who have a very, very fair complexion. I'm glad you're here to clarify these statements. Dave. Yeah, look, I need to because I'm always, um, you know, I'm always put in a certain box with certain views about certain things and just when I say something this just accurate, it's... I, I guarantee you news.com.au is not listening to this episode, David. You will not be Who? the headline story. News.com.au, you will not be the headline story on their website tomorrow. I promise you that. Um, so, And if you are, uh, sorry to say, we'd gladly take the publicity. So sorry that you're getting defamed. But, hey, go us. And I, would, I would defend myself adequately as I always have anyway. <laughs> bring it on, bring it on. Sorry, but, now, so that was a big, uh, a big sort of divergence from where we're going. But yeah, hey, hey, I, um, you're on the Australian Survivor archives. It's part of the parcel. This is what happens on these shows. It's completely fine. But yeah, just on the marketability of your season because it was announced very late in terms of the fact that most people didn't even know. It wasn't like this was announced at the beginning of 2006. This is coming. It was announced mid-year, boom, and then within a couple of months it's there. Even they didn't know. I think they were filming it until it kind of went out there. Um, But then sort of we talked a lot during season one, you know, the promotion. People could, like, buy the contestants' torches, you know, props from the show, memorabilia, uh, things I think were auctioned off for charity, things like that. Do you remember if – during your season, did they do anything like that? Like, did they auction? Like, because you're obviously playing for charity, 
But was there anything that you can remember about how they were like, hey, like, David, sign something. We're going to auction this off. Or Channel 7 did anything around that, if you remember? Because that's something, these are all questions we don't know. Like, this is what we're learning about by covering your season that maybe you might remember. There's nothing that actually comes to my memory. I suspect that that didn't happen. Um, There's nothing in my memory that relates to any of that. But I am old, so (laughs) who knows what I've forgotten. But no, there's nothing at all, even vaguely, that jumps out at me as as having happened along those lines. There may have certainly been something like maybe from Guy as the winner that somewhere down the line got auctioned off. That's a possibility. But I don't think that there was anything connected directly with the show doing anything like that. Which it's, it's fascinating because when you, I can imagine when Channel 7 find a loophole to do a Survivor, and like, let's remember 2006, Survivor's still probably one of the top 10 biggest shows in the world still. It's not quite as peak as it was in like 2001, 2002, but still a very recognizable brand that people are very familiar with. So it's interesting to think that Channel 7 maybe didn't hype that up to a point. Like, you know, I mean, Channel 7 are very good at overhyping things, so they're they're very good at kind of doing that and promoting things in that way. But I just find it interesting because, yeah, Channel 9 had, you know, Lay's chips, buy freaking, you know, Lay's light and tangy, and you can get yourself, you know, send in five labels and you'll get a buff and, you know, buy Solo and you can win a trip to Whaler's Way where they filmed it. So I'm surprised I didn't really go full tog with that kind of thing to really help promote uh, your season and do some extra stuff for charity as well. It might, um, it might go in line with the view that I've formed uh, over the years that I'm not sure that Channel 7 were ever particularly happy that they did it. So it's almost as like, they, well, we're committed, we're doing this, we've done it, we've now done it, it's been on air, let's just sort of forget about it now. I sort mm. of get that impression. I, I've never had the impression that there was a huge wholehearted commitment to that program. Um, and it may be because of what happened with the twist, quite frankly, and it may be because of the way the ratings suffered so badly at the end. And it's a good didn't... point. And I think that definitely ties into that because I, I did track down a few articles from back in 2006 and, and none of the TV critics were really overly kind. Uh, I think somebody listed it as one of the worst shows of the year, which I think is very unfair. Um, but, like, it's also we talked about at the very beginning of this season is that this was kind of – the height of the celebrity reality show craze of the mid-2000s, when all of a sudden you had Dancing with the Stars, It Takes Two, Channel 9 had about three different ice skating shows, didn't they? Um, Celebrity Big Brother, which Imogen, of course, was on. You know, things like that, which, you know, were a real thing, and we still got them today. I'm not saying it's ever gone away, but that was... I mean, I think we all remember Dancing with the Stars when that first started. That really was, I think, the big one in Australia, wasn't it? Because Celebrity Big Brother didn't really take off. Um, I just remember Dancing with the Stars being the big one where it was like, wow, celebrities, like we can put them out there and maybe just got lost in the fray because I've never watched Dancing with the Stars. I've never watched It Takes Two, none of those sort of stuff. I don't give a shit about watching. I would have loved to have done It Takes Two. I was sorry they didn't keep going with that one because that's about the only other one that I would have liked to have done. Do a bit of singing out there? Right. Well, I, I sang as a, as a youngster in a band. I actually, actually made wow. a for a couple of years. Uh, what was the band called, David? It was called the U.S. Band. The and U.S. So I actually, Band. I actually did make a modest living for a couple of years touring with the band. So All right. I well, I, I would be a terrible host right now then, David, if I didn't put you on the spot here. What was you go like? What What do you like singing? What's your go-to? Can you give us a bit of a song today? Oh, well, to be quite frank, the stuff I like singing is probably the stuff that I'm – my actual musical tastes don't necessarily align with what I'm capable of singing because, you know, I'm not Daryl Braithwaite. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not Robert Plant. You know, I don't have that sort of. I don't have that sort of range and, and capacity. I'm, I'm fundamentally a high baritone, which doesn't necessarily. Um, stick me well where pop music is concerned. So we can't get you doing a bit of horses this afternoon, basically, you're saying. No, no. But, no, look, I I love the beach. I like all the bees, the beach boys, the birds, the beetles. Um, You know, I I like, uh, you know, well, Canadian band. Well, no, they're not a Canadian band. They're always said to be a Canadian band. Heart. Right. Which was was always said to be a Canadian band, but they're actually... (laughs) So they're actually from Seattle, but I suppose it's close to. Canada. It's on the border. Um, it's right near the border. Um, BC. So yeah, no, I'm I'm more a sort of '60s and '70s you know music fan. I, I like some of the more modern music, but um, I find a lot of it rubbish. Well, um, but- I'm glad you're saying because I mean, one of the questions I'm going to get you to, to to give us you you get the distinction today of choosing the closing song. So uh, oh okay. I mean, you can think about that now before the end of the episode, or if you've got one straight away. But I, I like what your style. So if you're singing this high baritone, like is, is that like? Can you give us a song? Can I put you on the spot still here and get oh, you to no. sing something for me? No, no. I might send you a recording. Please do. Well, you did it with a whistle, so I would be down for that. <laughs> Matt loves um, that. Matt is on board with the whistle. <laughs> I have an unusual capacity to whistle. I can even whistle the um, guitar solo from Stairway to Heaven. So, um, yeah, I do have the – I don't know. My great-grandfather taught me to whistle when I was about a five-year-old child, and I have no idea. I've been trying to work out how to teach my own children. I don't even really know how I do it in many respects. You're but a man I'm, of many talents, David. Well, I don't this know is... whether whistling is particularly thought of as a talent. Hey, Tony, just... Abbott, Tony Abbott, one-time Prime Minister of this country, said to me, uh, in the office one day, um, and I quote, oh, Dave, mate, you know, you know, they say whistling is a sign of good humour, but could you not do it around the office? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because I, I, I just fundamentally break into whistling as a natural thing, um, <laughs> just sort of wandering around. I've been wandering around the house, I'll start whistling, you know, so I don't often don't even necessarily know I'm doing it. And I do actually sing quite typically in the shower, or in the mornings, and I do sing in tune. I have a reasonable understanding of vocals, and I did take um, I did take opera training when I was a teenager. Wow. And okay. I used to be able to sight read music and that sort of stuff. Not these days, but um, but I was never a great singer. I could I could sing well enough for certain things, but I would have loved to have done something like Take Two. That mm. would have been good. That would have been good. Uh, the other shows, mm, mm, not so much. But I think the Survivor just suffered. Ch- Channel 7 Survivor just suffered unfairly. And a lot of it was no doubt the fact that it was celebrity, no doubt the fact that the way the twist went. And I hadn't thought about that so much previously, but it is looking more and more like that. It's And it's kind of fascinating to think just... The, the production value that Channel 7 put into it, which I don't know if we really t- – we, we did talk about it throughout the season, but, um, you know, Channel 9 at the time, it was the most expensive non-drama television production in the history of Australian TV when they did their version back in uh, 2002. And um, I can't imagine what Channel 10 put into theirs is is not exactly cheap. Uh, it's obviously produced by Endemol Shine. Channel 10 are owned by CBS now, so they're obviously getting a bit of coin into it. Um, and David Mason talked about the budgetary, you know, restrictions that they had during your season. And a lot of the budget, I'm sure, went into paying you guys because, you know, that's kind of what the, the key thing is, of course. But um, I think for what they did with your season, 
it looked great. And as I've constantly said, your season is the the bridging season between old school Survivor and new school Survivor. And I think it looks great. I mean, your season, I will say, has the most consistent challenges. There's not really a bad challenge in your season. Um, I think visually it's great. The first time we've been overseas on Australian Survivor, Vanuatu is a great location. They really went out of their way to incorporate the local culture, which is fantastic. We're a big fan of things like that. And even they obviously haven't gotten the theme. They haven't gotten Russ Landau's, you know, famous ancient voices from the US Survivor. But you know, what they did end up getting and, and kind of the theme that they, they ultimately went with was was unique in itself that it, it, it like if you weren't to have a Russ Landau theme, like Jay Stewart's theme, I think, does the job perfectly. And it, it's maybe my favorite. And I love the Whaler's Way theme, but I still think it, it kind of really works. So the production value that Channel 7 put into it, even if it's a show they didn't really ultimately give a shit about, it still looks fantastic, and I think it, it holds up well. That's one thing that I will say. 15 years later, it still looks pretty darn fucking good. Yeah, and look, given what you know, I've been doing with you guys and what you've been doing with this season over the last sort of several months, I've had cause to go back and have a look at some of the DVDs and check. You know, I haven't watched a whole episode, but I've checked sections of different things. And you're quite right; it holds up today. It could be it could be repeated on television today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't look terribly out of place with a lot of other things. It was filmed well. It looks good. Sound is good. The challenges are good. The the I you know, hadn't thought about it terribly much previously, but I think the issues that have been raised about Dicko do hold some water um, in that I think it was Guy who said that you expect, and he wasn't having a go at Dicko, but he's, I think what he said is is correct and may also be an important factor for diehard Survivor fans in that you expect the host of Survivor to look like he could probably do Survivor. Yeah. And I don't think we got that. Um, as much as I thought Dicko did a good job, and I still think Dicko did a good job, I think people find it difficult taking him seriously, um, which has been an issue for him in his career in the media. Um, he didn't really come from somewhere that would propel you into being a person in the media and I just don't think he's ever really been terribly taken serious, which is unfortunate because he's an intelligent man um, who, funnily enough, has a, a degree in political science. Wow. Um, so I've had some interesting conversations with him. And he's an intelligent guy. He's the classic hail fellow well-met situation. You know, he's great to have lunch and have a few drinks with and that sort of thing. But I don't think an audience particularly takes him seriously. It's, and it's a valid point because I think, as we said at the very beginning of the season, I mean, this was like, he was a massive signing for Channel 7, wasn't he? That was like big news that they had poached I, him. I, this was, I think it was something like $2 million contract at the time. Which which was, and this is back when that was really talked about because, I mean, obviously that was yeah. peak Australian idol. He was one of the most famous people in the country at that point and he was Australia's Simon Cow. He was, you know, the, the judge, you know, everyone remembers him like shutting down Paulini and kind of things like that, which were hugely controversial. So when they got him to Channel 7, it was a big signing and... Like, we still say that he's the biggest celebrity out there, uh, was was Dicko at the time. But I think one thing I've personally really grown a fondness for Dicko because I honestly think a lot of the reason why I maybe didn't watch your season as well was because I'm like, oh, Dicko as a host, that's a weird choice. But I think what I've loved in covering this season is 
the dicoisms, being able to kind of have our fun with the dico thug life moment every single week. We're not going to do that with JLP. We couldn't do that with Lincoln back in season one, like because they're more of the Jeff Propes type of guy where they've kind of gone for that. Whereas Dico, and just Dico, I think looks like he was just having fun out there. Whereas like Lincoln in season one was told like, they're not your friends. You are the host. Do not interact with them. You will go out there, say what you need to say, and then you're done. And JLP's kind of, he's an actor. Like, you know, he's casual. He kind of goes along with it, but he's got more to work with because Survivor, when he first started, was 16 years old. So he's got more of a canvas to work with. Dicko to me, even if they had said like, Dicko, don't be friends with him. Dicko's just going, ah, fuck it. I'm just going out there to have some fun. This is, you know, like, and it just looked like he was having fun out there. Like the banter with you, um, kind of like, you know, some of the comments that he said to the girls probably wouldn't hold up too well in 2021 but like it's it just it just looked like he was having fun and I think that's one thing that I I want to say my opinion has changed a lot is Dicko and just he's a unique beast in Survivor and I appreciate him as a host yeah and I think probably um I understand all of that and I've spent you know a bit of time with him because we also did that other show together where we're on the road together for a month and so I saw him every day for a month um, and saw him at dinner every night um, and helped him back to his hotel room every evening. Um, so um, <laughs> the, uh, yes, I, I had quite a bit of um, exposure to Dicko and, but it doesn't look like an audience has ever really taken to him. Yeah. I, and and I, I wonder if that's because of the, the stigma he's got from Australian Idol, if you know what I mean. Well, it could be, like, but I think the other thing also is that you know, you people have a certain talent for certain things and then you try to get them to do other stuff. And probably all the things that you've just explained that you like about him um, in what he did in our season of um, Survivor may not necessarily fit with what Survivor fans really expect. I, and, that, I think, and, that's, and that's, I think, exactly. Yeah, I think it. Survivor fans expect what they get from Jeff Probst. Yeah, and, and all they, absolutely. They, they expect all of that. And yep. then they see Dicko who, you know, sort of it doesn't look like he could run 100 yards without sort of having a stroke um, and has all these, you know, Dickoisms and all this stuff which is quirky and funny. But maybe that actually, uh, once again, sort of uh, cheapen is not the word I want. Maybe it, it sort of changed in its own effect. It changed the way you could see our program. Yeah, Dicko himself may have been in part responsible for turning off a few things. The fact it was a celebrity, Dicko as the host, the twist, all of these things may have actually come together in a perfect storm to really ruin the series in the eyes of genuine fans. And, uh, and I think completely wrong, you know? No, I think, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head because – I think that is a lot of what people would talk about with your season and everything. But the one thing I would say in in sort of defense of, of Dicko and why he maybe fits better in that is that you kind of almost need a celebrity to be with celebrities, if that makes sense. Like, as in, again, I'm not saying you're all like, you know, Hugh Jackman and Michael Jackson and that, but like it's kind of a thing that you can always relate on the same level, if that makes sense. Like, I don't get JLP, you would argue... I mean, JLP could play on a, on a season of Survivor as a sort of, hey, he's that guy from Underbelly or, hey, he's that guy from that, you know what I mean. But he's, I think JLP's kind of more well-known now for the fact that he's a host of Survivor, even though he's a pretty esteemed actor. Um, but I just think that, you know, Dicko just fits in well because a few of you knew him already. Like, you kind of, some of you had been in certain, and just, he can kind of relate to you and just kind of be there. Whereas, like, if you've got a, 
you know, just like, a, and not no disrespect to Lincoln from the first season. Lincoln was never a celebrity. Lincoln was a producer of 60 Minutes who was plucked out to kind of be a Jeff Probst desk, you know, an unknown and turned into a, a household name like Jeff Probst was. So I think kind of like, I don't think Dicko could host a non-celebrity version of Survivor. I think that would be odd. Um, because, I mean, even oh. then, like non-celebrity, and I'm not saying that, you know, celebrities, your sort of people in your thing, aren't, but like people who are not, in that limelight, my oh, it's Dicko. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of starstruck a little bit. I don't know. That might be different. I don't no, know where I'm going. I have, point, I have a, um, I have a couple of problems with part of the direction of what you're fitting together there. I understand exactly what you're saying and agree with the notion of celebrities need to rub shoulders with other celebrities. I also hate the idea of that, and I've made it very, very clear. I, I have never considered myself a celebrity. Now, I was a person who was engaged in politics who became known as a consequence of the media that I did um, because of the job that I had. And I, I didn't then and still don't see myself as a celebrity. I mean, even when I was a radio host, and you know, keep in mind, I had my own radio show for five years. Mm. And you know, I never saw myself as a celebrity. I was a broadcaster. Um, for me, celebrities are movie stars and probably in, in the true sense, the old style of movie star. I mean, like Sophia Loren um, mm. is, you know, is a screen goddess and to me a celebrity. Um, you know, John Wayne was a celebrity. Charlton Heston was celebrities. Um, these people were celebrities. Yeah, to me, the rest of us just kind of do a job that in some respects might get reported and cause us to be known. So we're more known, we're public figures, we have some fame. It doesn't make us a celebrity because when I think about celebrities, I think about people who are highly pampered. You know, we're talking about rock stars that demand that um, there be no brown M&Ms in there behind. Well, in fairness, David, you did say that to me before this interview. We're like, Ben, I don't want any of those brown M&Ms. Oh, I don't, I don't need brown M&Ms. But, but, I mean, Van Halen did that. I mean, Van Halen yeah. had it in their contract. Mariah Carey wanted everything white like in a room before a concert. Well, no, but the interesting thing like about that, Van Halen yeah. is that the reason why they didn't want any brown M&Ms was because it was intended to see how closely people adhered to and paid attention to the contract. And they felt that if they found brown M&Ms behind stage, that meant, well, did these people read this contract? So it was actually a bit of it was actually quite an intelligent strategic. Ploy. It was quite strategic and quite intelligently put forward as a ploy by David Lee Roth, the lead singer of of, um, of um, Van Halen. So, but there is this thing which I don't like about celebrities in that there is the notion that celebrities themselves think of themselves as being better than other people, mm. and that's a fact. They do. They expect which- to be treated in a certain way. They expect to be you know, highly catered to and highly looked after. And everybody should be treated with a level of respect in the sense of what they give and take. But the idea that a person is somehow better because they are a celebrity, you know, I find that an appalling notion. And it's something that we're all stuck with because it's just the way it is. Here's a question for you then. We've already talked a lot about, I guess, the the stain your season has with the word celebrity on it. And I've talked about, you know, if you were just on a normal season, we have, we have seen that in some of our quote, normal Australian survivor season. So for example, on the first season, the winner, Rob Dixon was an AFL player. 
Um, season three, we had someone like Lee Castledine, who was a, a prominent cricket player, played for, for Queensland, the, the Brisbane Heat, you know, sort of well-known in some circles. Season four, we had an Olympian in Ziggy, a bronze medal-winning Australian water polo player. So quasi-celebrities who you would argue that on your season would be put on there as a celebrity. Do you, How do you think you then would have, like, if, say, you had have just... Channel 10 got you for their very first season, season three, season one of Channel 10, whatever you want to call it, and it wasn't ever marketed as a celebrity season. You were just put on there as, oh, David Alford, he's a politician. You might remember him from this, but, hey, let's kind of go with it. Do you think that would have made it easier or harder for you then if you're, like, around, quote, non-celebrities who are kind of, quote, normal people? Do you think that puts more attention on you then, kind of as a a flip side, because you are a bit well-known compared to the other people, if that makes sense? Well... I don't know if it would have been harder, harder in the sense of how well I might have done in the game, do you mean? Well, yes, yes and no, because yeah, I think yeah, like possibly. my point, I guess, my point is both, that... Could have been both harder and easier because if you if you are mingling at the point of, at the point of my greatest level of fame, if I put it that way, it was evident that there you do have a level of power over some people by virtue of not necessarily what, what you do, but the way they perceive you. Yeah. So yes, if you were a person deemed as a celebrity and you were thrown into a group of people who were not celebrities and a level of those people would be fans and even the ones who weren't would be to a degree, a little bit more in awe than they would have been if you were just as they see it like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are advantages. There are advantages. Because I look at that, like I look at, say, what happens in your season when you get to the merge and Guy is automatically targeted, Elton, because your you're physical threats, you're strong, which is a standard thing on Survivor. You want to kind of go after those people. But then I look at how it's, it's elevated more in the Channel 10 Champions vs. Contenders when they mix up the celebrity tribe with the non-celebrity tribe and you're in a tribe with Lydia Lassala, you know, Olympic gold medal winning, you know, beast of a of an athlete. We're automatically, we've got to get rid of her. You know, we, we've got to get rid of her, you know, straight away because of basically of, of her reputation. And I guess if, if I'm ever cast on Survivor and I'm on a, you know, a celebrity and I'm on just the, the contenders and I'm up against Lydia Lassala, I'm partly angry. I'm like, fuck, it's literally that's what I love her. Like, oh my God. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, no, she's going to kick my ass in this game. I want to go. So even then she's kind of got there, but I would look at that from your perspective. Like, sorry, if I'm looking at you, I'd be like, well, God, this guy's a politician. He's fucking smart. Like, I don't give a shit about his politics. I don't give a shit about his reputation. The fact that he's a politician, I'm automatically going to be like, wow, you're gone. Like, I don't trust you. Not because you're a yeah, politician, because you're smart. Thing, it's the trust thing. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, people also project, I mean, if we come back to what happened to me, uh, it would seem that uh, Imogen and Nicole, uh, mostly Imogen doing the sort of manipulating behind the scenes, you know, it would seem that most of the reason why they decided to turn on me was because they didn't trust me. And the odd thing was that the people not to be trusted were them. And they they proved it in what they did. So you do get people project what it is, you know, about themselves onto other people and automatically presume those people have those same traits. We often face that as being the case. So the person who was most trustworthy out of the three of us was me and the people who seemed to think that they should get rid of me because I was untrustworthy were the people who were most untrustworthy themselves. 
final bit I want to kind of just add before we move on to some things just on the, the celebrity note, because it's a very important talking point from your season, um, because ultimately moving forward, we're never going to have a full celebrity season again. But I think the interesting thing just with how – I remember when Champions vs. Contenders was first announced by Channel 10, the, the moans and groans from, you know, fans out there of like, oh, God, they're, you know, they're doing this, they're doing that. But it's interesting to think, going back to my point about how the legacy, I think, of your season is how it is more relevant now than ever, basically what Channel 10 does – both those champions versus contender seasons were won by champions slash celebrities. So we had Shane freaking Gould win Survivor uh, and then Pia Miranda, you know, and then we had David Janat, the Golden God, who was on champions versus contenders too, was put on there as an internationally famous supermodel. He went on to win All-Stars. Um, so like, and we've had sort of those three quote celebrities win these seasons with celebrities on them, but people admire them. People like Australian survivor fans are all like, wow, like David Jannat often regarded now as the greatest survivor player of all time in this country. Whereas I look at then someone like Guy who, you know, look by default to me, and this is no disrespect to Guy if he's listening to me, by default Guy is the, I'm going to say worse. That's a bad word to say. If I was to rank all Australian Survivor winners, Guy Leach is at the bottom by default because of he the circumstances. He was reintroduced and missed. Yeah. And, th- and that's not Guy's fault. If Guy no. had to play a full game, he would not be last on that list. Trust me, he wouldn't. Yeah. And whereas but- also if you were to start out with the 12 celebrity survivors, the person you would pick potentially as being the most likely to win would have been Guy. Yeah, exactly. His greatest letdown in winning would have been the fact that everybody else would think that too, so they'd target him early to get rid of him. Yeah, yeah. And I think and I think my point overall, what I'm saying with that though, is that this is where I think it's it's unfair the reaction your season gets. Because why are we praising so-called celebrities who at one point were frowned upon in the Channel 10 version of, oh, well, they're bringing in celebrities, but now we lord David uh, David Jannat, you know, we lord Shane Gould, we lord, you know, Pia Miranda as great players, and they are. I'm not saying they're not, but then why should we not look at your season? Well, David Oldfield's a great player, Imogen Bailey's a great player, Guy Leach is a great player, Justin Melvey's a great player. Like, it's the same bloody thing, and it's frustrating that kind of the fans don't give your season attention. So I'm on my soapbox here defending your season because of that. Um, my little rant to the fans listening, David. <laughs> well, people people can be fickle. And, yeah. you know, it's, of course, it's a, it's a matter of whatever is the flavour of the month. and yeah. Very true, very true. Which, again, again, I'll argue your season is more relevant than ever. A couple of things which are going to be interesting to ask you because, like, obviously Matt and I are obviously discussing this usually on, on this type of episode, but we often like to talk about the, the tribes. Like, did we have a favourite tribe on, on your season? And your season, of course, is the very first in Australian Survivor to have a tribe swap. I'm obviously going on the OG tribe, so the original Kakula, the original Moso. I'm not doing it on the swap tribe. Um you obviously, I'm guessing, are biased and are going to say OG Kukula um, as maybe your favourite tribe. But I think what I, I really appreciate in re-watching this is just the different value that each of the tribe brings. I, I, I would probably say that I personally prefer Moso just because I like the dynamic that that kind of had. Like, I kind of like this you know, Fiona drama that we had with like Amber kind of seeing the bond of like Imogen and Nicole and kind of Imogen going from, you know, looking like first boot to coming through and coming through very strong. Justin being able to integrate himself with the tribe. Whereas on Kakula, like don't get me wrong. uh, Obviously I'm a big fan of yours. I like seeing Guy and Wayne kind of bond. Uh, Gabrielle kind of causing a bit of trouble there. I've become a big fan of Elton on this rewatch. 
But then we have Ben. Uh, and then it's kind of like, I'm just like, what does Ben do? Can we answer this still, David? What does Ben do? Well, yeah, one of the interesting <laughs> things about Ben is that you automatically look at Ben and you think, oh, well, we've got to get rid of Ben because he's too much of a threat. But I don't know whether we talked about this before, but Ben really wasn't that much of a threat. I mean, Ben was a person who, of course, with his, you know, being a member of the SASR, you know it's important to put the R on the end. Um, being a member of the SASR, you know, he had a tremendous, you know, skill set in regards to being in the jungle and finding food. And he taught us a lot of great stuff. And I think it was generally thought, well, he's taught us these things that we need to get us through the next you know, week. Now we can get rid of him. Um, it wasn't so much that he was a threat because the interesting thing about Ben was that he was actually, he actually performed quite poorly in the physical challenges. I mean, there was one challenge where um, he was so big in the sense of, you know, he was just, he was the traditional brick shithouse, you know. He was so big <laughs> and muscular and strong um, that he had trouble getting through some of the, um, you know, some of the physical places size-wise because it just didn't really fit and he was a bit slow getting through there. The other really interesting thing about Ben, I don't know whether I covered this when, we talked when it was just, you know, you and me talking um, in my sort of recap of things um, when you interviewed me. Um, ben couldn't swim very well, which really, really, surpri oh, really surprised me. And the only oh. thing I put it down to is that Ben had such a high muscle to fat ratio. Mm. Of course, as you'd be aware, you know, muscle weighs about three times what fat weighs. So he actually was not at all buoyant. He struggled to stay afloat. And I know that because we went out um, – you know, I was a professional diver, so you know, I had a lot of confidence in the water. And we went out to go spearfishing, and he came to help me. And you know, I thought I was going to have to rescue him at one stage. But he was, <laughs> you know, he was struggling to stay afloat. And it took me a while to work it out. But, you know, what it really came down to simply was as strong as he was, he was really super negatively buoyant because of his incredibly high muscle-to-fat ratio. He just Same. simply didn't displace enough water. You know, wow. yeah, it's a classic example of, of where Archimedes' principle works against you. He weighed too much for what it was with his water displacement because of his muscle-to-fat ratio. So he struggled to swim. He really struggled. Um, so he actually wasn't that much of a physical threat. Hmm. Very interesting. There you go. I like hearing those stories. I mean, if we'd been playing real Survivor and he could have killed us in the night and things like that, he would have been <laughs> the greatest threat of all. You know, he'd have slid yeah. all our throats without any of us waking up. But <laughs> as far as actually not being able to kill us, um, you know, then he actually in just Survivor games, he wasn't that much of a threat. He didn't run that fast. He didn't swim terribly well. He had trouble staying afloat, treading water. Um, and he was so big he had difficulty getting through obstructions. It's, it's interesting. I love, again, hearing stories like that to kind of see that. Just a quick, I mean, I'll ask you this quick question because, again, I, I'm, I'm sticking, sorry to disappoint you, but I'm sticking with Original Moso as my favourite try between the two of you. Well, but, no, um, for taste. Yeah, well, you know, uh, better to look at, let's be honest. <laughs> but also, well, not, if you, not if you're gay. Well, or a woman uh, who's straight, a straight woman, you know, looking at that, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. To our female listeners. Come on, David, don't be so sexist, you sexist pig. Jesus, you disgust me. Um, <laughs> did you have did you have a better time on OG Kukula or Numoso? Like, what was your preference if you could relive, like, a weekend with OG Kukula or Numoso? What would you prefer? No, I was horrified at the swap. No, so I, you did, I you'd prefer OG Kukula? No, I didn't like it at all. 
I really didn't. Um, I was very comfortable with where we were at. And, you know, I'm a cancer and I'm old and set in my ways and all that in many respects, but in other respects, I'm not, funnily enough. Um, in other respects, I'm very open-minded. But I don't like change of environment particularly. And I was very comfortable with where we were at with Guy and with uh, Wayne and Elton and all. I, I enjoy them. Men, 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 men. There's a singing. Yes. You know, <laughs> I was very comfortable, Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. I was very, very comfortable. <laughs> Don't get me started on his merry band of men. And so I was, I'm not gay, by the way. And, um, not that there'd be anything wrong with that, Dave. Not that there'd be anything wrong with that, no. Thank you. Um, yep. And yeah, it just, um, I was really comfortable with that group of people. Um, I mean, even Gabrielle, I mean, Gabrielle was just there with, with us and the guys. She was almost like one of the guys in some respects, but obviously beautiful to look at. Um, and you're not really allowed to say that now, are you? You're still allowed to appreciate. Look, I, I, I think that my, my mantra more. is as long as you are being an equal opportunity perv. So let's also just say that well, you are equally. beautiful to look at as yeah, well. Elton got a nice rig on him. So doing and Ben, I mean, come on, I I may not you know think he's a great survivor player, but that guy, like Jesus Christ, I'm just jealous that he looks like a Ben can look like that. Like Jesus Christ, Ben, you know, gives me something to live to. Well, something to reach out for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if I, I bet he's capable of having a body like that, I'm okay. Like I've got hope, basically. You're, you're so. a young man. There's plenty of hope for you. Well, thank you, David. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I, I appreciate that. I'm putting that on my uh, my bio. Uh, a young man, David Oldfield. Thanks. That's you a, are a young man. How old are you? How old do you think I am? What are you going to get? Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm 34. Come on. I'm not that old. Oh, well, you're 34. <laughs> I'm nearly twice as old as you. Oh, wow. I was going to say, does that make me I can call you daddy? But then things would just get awkward on this episode. Um, well, yeah, that would become. <laughs> moving on. Um, become kind of unusual. But yeah, just, just, just a little bit. My, my children call me Papa Bear. Oh, okay. Great, great US Survivor contestant by the name of Papa Bear. He was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, there's a, you know, you, you're getting these uh, nicknames and Survivor connections out there. Um, we got, we sort of have some nice quick fire questions as well as some listener questions that we've got to and a few other things to, to close this out on and sort of wrap up this season. One thing no, I actually. I'm tr- just getting into it. Oh, we've still got time. Don't worry. Like, come on. I expect you to answer some of these questions. Good, David. Um, one thing I actually tracked down, um, we've asked each of our guests on the show, we've asked you all what your uh, luxury items were because we, we had the um, the luxury in the first season, no pun intended, of having a book where it told us what each of the contestants' luxury items were. I've found one of the on this Survivor Sucks old forum post, somebody has actually listed everybody's up luxury items, which is interesting because obviously the the five guests we haven't had on the show, we, we never knew what they were going to have. So uh, I will go through these, and some of these we know. Uh, so yours were vitamins. That was your luxury item. Um, Whereas is, enough now, I don't take any vitamins at all. Well, there you go. I'm completely, suppl- completely supplement-free and live an entirely nutrition-through-food-only diet. So that's where you probably would have actually won the damn game then if you weren't on uh, on vitamins back then. Uh, as we know, Amber famously had mascara. Uh, we, we saw that on the show. Elton had a football. Fiona had a tarot cards. Justin talked about him having a guitar. Um, Guy Leach had a razor. Smart. 
Um, as we know, Kim Johnson had her sheet. Her, uh, her it was like a three hundred count or whatever sheet it was. Um, Imogen had a Swiss Army knife. Very intelligent, Imogen. Good job. Uh, Nicole had soap. Very clever. Gabrielle Richards, a teddy bear. Um, Wayne had a necklace and letter from his kid. Only she'd known I was Papa Bear back then. (laughs) You would have been her teddy bear. And uh, Ben had a mosquito net. So some smart ones out there, actually. uh, Yeah, I mean, Ben's was probably the wisest. Yeah, clever there. um, Between a knife, a net, some soap. um, Keep in mind that, um, yeah, I don't know whether soap is all that particularly useful, but... Uh, not that I want to be unclean, but given the circumstances, being cleaner wouldn't have helped you win. You in the yeah. shower was the best thing of that season, David. Oh, the shower was just unbelievable. I must have shaved about nine times. Just <laughs> over, never, and it was just the hot water and actually being able to wash your hair and all that sort of stuff. But it was certainly better than the daily dip in the ocean where you'd never really get all the salt off you. Did you do the whole um, the aqua dump? Was that a thing that you guys would do, go out to the ocean and uh, just... Uh drop a couple of nuggets in the ocean. It's a big Survivor US thing, the aqua dump, doing a poo in the water. Like, is that a thing you did? No. No? No, no, I've never felt an urge to do something like that. Right. I I never thought you'd probably, I mean, this show's shit enough as it is before being asked a question about shit. Yeah, no, it would never have occurred to me to actually do that. Yeah, well, that's that's a it's a big uh, secret. Well, not really a secret, but a big uh, prominent thing that people like to do in the US version. Maybe it's just an American thing. They just God swim out in the ocean. Why? And of course, anyway, you realize you realize that a lot of those um, a lot of those items, luxury items, were geared towards some on camera usefulness. Like obviously, yeah. the guitar, Jonah and the tarot cards, Elton yeah, with yeah, the exactly, football, and then yeah. her sacrificing them by burning them for the good of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and um, and of course, the guitar for Justin to sort of—it's all. Why weren't you uh, using it, David? You should have been singing. Like you should have been doing the campfire sing-alongs. I don't think he knew any songs that I knew. I don't know whether how proficient he was as a recollection, but I don't think he knew any songs that I would have sung. You know, like um, "And I Love Her" or "Yesterday" or something along those. <laughs> oh, that, so. come on! <laughs> I think you're selling Justin a bit short. I think Justin would be capable of doing a bit of Daryl Braithway. Bit of oh, heart. I, I wouldn't try and sing a Daryl Braithwaite song. He's too good a singer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> amazingly, you know, he really. I interviewed. I had the good fortune of interviewing Daryl Braithwaite once, and I think he was he was shocked that I was actually a genuine fan of his vocal talent. But there you go. Um, but yeah, obviously the football with Elton and these sorts of things were you know, geared in a certain fashion. Hmm. For Which, me, the, the vitamins for me one of those things where I was going through a crazy period where I. You know, thought of, I thought that's what I needed. You know, do, and I was used to taking vitamins every day. So, do you remember? Because like generally, what will happen on a sort of a regular Survivor season is, I think you get it. You send in three potential options, and then the producers will go choose that one, or no, none of those three work for us. Why don't you choose something else? Did you get it? Like, did you have to submit things, or were you just straight up like vitamins and like sure? Um, I don't remember being given any options or having anything refused. Um, so, no, I, I certainly wasn't guided in any direction where that was concerned. I just picked what I felt I needed. Nice. There you go. Good to see that happens. All right. So we've got some questions. Qu- questions. We've got a list of questions and then sort of our standard end of season questions before we will wrap it up. Now, big thanks to everybody who sent in these listener questions. We always like to use our 
finale of each season to kind of be the listener questions episode that we do here on ASA. And we did the added incentive this time around, of course. We have a prize to give away this week. Uh, our good friends over at Headskins have produced, as you can see, I'm wearing this now. Uh, listeners can't see it, but of course, uh, sort of a replica celebrity survivor style buffs. And we have a set of these which we're going to give away to the best question. And David, you're going to be the judge. So you get to choose which you think is the best question and who will win a set of these buffs. That's a so, two-edged sword. I get to make one person happy and piss off a lot of others. I'm pretty sure you're used to that, though. You're a politician, right? Come on. Like, that's, that's your job. These days. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why we get you back, David. So big thanks, everyone. Now, I want to start off with one here because this person will be our next guest on this show. He's the first boot of season three, the Channel 10 first ever season they did, the legendary Mr. Des Quilty. Uh, now, uh, again, I don't know how familiar you are with the Channel 10 version, David, but basically Des likes to take the piss out of us because he doesn't agree on our rankings of the season that we say your season is season two, Channel 9 season one. You know, he he's adamant that he was on season one of Australian Survivor. Des, you're wrong. It's the third season of Australian Survivor. You're on season three. So his bit of taking the piss is when should I expect my Asanga Samatau and Asatoa from season two? Thanks in advance. So they are the tribes that were on uh, the second Channel 10 season, what he refers to as season two. Uh, not really a question. So, so is he just in denial that our season counts? Exactly. Do you have anything to say to Des on, on that in kind of defence of the fact that your season counts? <laughs> um, maybe she should just see a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, hello, Des. I know you're not listening, but um, <laughs> we look forward to having you as our next guest on the show. I just, I, I am seriously looking forward to Des's interview. It will be a lot I mean, of fun. Denial is helpful for people to get through daily life, but it doesn't change what it is. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a solid point. Uh, our first, uh, outside of Des's question, so we've got one here from the Grim Recapper on Twitter. He said, they say, I shouldn't assume that it's a he, they say, who were the most famous celebrities there at the time it was filmed? I tried working it out the other day and I ended up with Fiona in second, which seems not right. Now, Matt and I talked about this at the beginning of the season. To you, again, you're, we've, we've had this big discussion about the term celebrity, but if you, based on your sort of thoughts where you said a celebrity in your eyes is, you know, a Charlton Heston, you know, Sophia Loren, who to you, out of the twelve of you, well, or these days to be more contemporary, you know, Brad Pitt, sure, you know, is yeah, a celebrity. Yeah. Um, but who would you say then, out of the twelve? Is a celebrity, you know, exactly, yeah. But who would you, who was the most? Tom the Cruise biggest, is a celebrity, you know. These the people. biggest celebrity out of the twelve of you out there, who would you argue? I wouldn't have put Fiona anywhere in in the first six. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought. I mean, I, I'd never heard of Fiona. I, I know more about Fiona now than I knew yeah. then. I've never heard of. Her. I, I'm with you. I I didn't. I because she was, of course, was in um, Def FX, which Matt knew her very much from uh, the band. But yeah, I had no clue who Fiona was. Oh, sorry, did they have a hit song or something? Uh, they were kind of one of those like underground kind of like they had a few. I think they charted a few times, but I guess you had to be into that kind of music. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. one person's celebrity is another person's nobody. Mm. So, because yeah, it is a question of what it is that you follow. I, I I'll just say I said to me the biggest celebrity going into this to me was Wayne Gardner, and maybe that comes from a fact that I'm a bit of a motorsport fan. Wayne Gardner, you know, our first ever world motorcycle champion. 
big household name for a large portion of the 80s into the 90s before sort of Mick Doohan came around. So to me personally, I said Mick, uh, Wayne Gardner. But again, I don't know how you would. It depends on how you classify your no, cast I think, members. I think that you're not far off there. Um, I think you're not far off with Wayne Gardner. I mean, if I speak just briefly on myself, the peak of my fame was about 1998. Mm. So, you know, I was about... Um, you know, eight years. I was in. I was towards the end of my notoriety and and what have you. Um, I would think Wayne. Um, yeah, I would think Wayne because I mean Wayne was. You know, I think a, a couple of times, at least twice, perhaps even more, a, a world motorcycle champion. He was once, um, once in 500cc. He might have won a few in the junior categories, but he, yeah, he only won it once. He only won the 500cc once. Yeah, yeah. So he, won, he won he it once. He won a world champion once. Yeah, Mick doing five times and Casey Stoner twice off the top of my head. So, right, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're probably pretty close to it with Wayne. I don't think, unless you were a rugby fan, and this mm. is where you've got to compartmentalise these, compartmentalise these things. If you weren't a rugby fan, you'd have never heard of Elton Flatley. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea what Flatley was because I'm not a fan of any sport particularly. I mean, I love to play sport and I, I won four national titles in sport, but I've always been a, um, you know, I've always been a participant, never really a spectator. The only thing I like to watch is my kids play rugby. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of under 11s and under 9s rugby union, but that's about it. Um, yeah, Guy was very well known, but once again, yep. Guy, a bit like me, had probably been well past the peak of his being known. Probably even more so than I was at that stage, because he was more of a, he was more of probably a late '80s, even early '90s yeah. You know, yeah. icon, absolute icon. Um, Gabrielle Richens, I mean, she was only really known because she was had kept Solomon Hanamo or Hamano. I don't quite remember his name, but he was a very well-known rugby league player, if I recollect, who she somehow had trapped, you know, by his own consent in England and they were having trouble getting her, getting him away from her. And mm. I think that's the only reason that she was, was known. I'd um, never heard of her. I had no, I, the only, no. the only thing I literally know Gabrielle Richards from is Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Imogen was a bikini model. I think um, I would just jump in there quickly say, because it's a good point you're making about, the celebrity factor that many of you, I guess, weren't peak as your fame. I would argue Imogen at the time was probably the most famous because that was around about like she'd done Celebrity Big Brother a few years ago. She had released that single. She was a bit of an advocate. Like if you were to judge you on your celebrity at the time, outside of Dicko, I would argue Imogen. Because, I mean, Justin Melvey even then was a few years removed from Home and Away, Days of Our Lives, yeah, but, like, Dancing with the Stars, he got a bit of fame. I mean, Kim, I guess, was a bit famous because of Dancing with the Stars at that time. But um, I would argue Imogen just based on where she was at her career at that point. Yeah, probably. so once again, it comes back to this compartmentalisation of yeah. um, what you follow. If you followed rugby, you probably knew Elton, and if you didn't follow rugby, you had no idea who Elton was. Uh, Imogen, I only knew Imogen... Um, from probably an FHM or a magazine cover if I was in a news agency. 
uh, I had no idea she'd ever released a single. That we, we played like I I act like I, I had no, no know, idea she could. I was eighteen. Well, was I nineteen when your season was? Of course, I was very aware of FHM at the time. But I I knew her song. She did sort of a, a song with a, a DJ. It was called "If You Want Me." We played it at the end of one of our episodes. I really liked it. I bought it on single, and I'm like, hey, it's that Imogen Bailey. I remember her. So when I saw well, it, not, not show, enough people bought it on single because it, it, it was it was never follow-up. a massive hit. No, no it was follow-up. never. It was definitely not a massive hit. No, I, but, um, I, I didn't yeah. know. Um, I didn't know really of Imogen when we first met in Vanuatu. We discovered mostly because she knew. She said, "Oh, you know, Imogen approached me when we before we left to go in the jungle and said, uh, you and I, we have mutual friends,' which was Bessie and Jeff Barker, or Bessie Bardot and Jeff Barker, who now live in the United States. And she, I think, was um, one of their models when they had a modeling agency." Uh, Imogen, I think, was one of Bardo's models. And I think that's how they knew each other, but I'm not entirely certain, but that seems to make sense. And she said, uh, oh, yeah, we have these mutual friends. I won't ever vote against you. <laughs> well. Anyway, so, um, but no, I wasn't aware that she had a single or did any of those sorts of things. I'll send, I'll send you. I don't think you'll like it, but um, I'll, I'll send it not, to you. Kind of through I that suspect that it's probably a bunch of whispering. It, um, it's, well, she's actually like... I mean, she's she no, actually get out there. Has she got some pitch? Not overly, um, but I mean, she's not terrible, uh, but she's not brilliant. Uh, Amazing what she can do with a mixer. Yeah, well, there you go. she's no David Oldfield. I mean, no, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a good singer. I, I just have a, I just have a reasonable pitch that I can carry. What, what? Just before I move on to the next question, what were your four national titles in? What, what sports were these in? Oh, um, scuba diving. Wow. Okay. Um, ten pin bowling in two areas. Wow. Okay, I like this. And photography. Wow. Really nice. Very diverse. Yeah, I like yeah that's it. right. They're quite diverse. How do you win a national title in scuba diving? Well, I suppose it's a little bit like Survivor. It's a combination of theory tests, um, and the theory test I put down would have been that puzzle we did, um, which was the achievement I was most happy about, and. Um, and physical attributes. So you have to do like underwater obstacle course, um, natural navigation underwater, you know, unaided navigation, compass aided navigation, um, search and recovery, you know, um, a whole range of underwater activities. So it's it's a genuine national competition run by the Australian Underwater Federation. Here's a, this is a fascinating now that you say that because, like, let's just quickly analyze. I was, also the, captain, I was also captain of the state scuba team at the time. Look, you just you keep revealing all these great things because every single male then on your season has some, like, big athletic achievement. I mean, Ben Wynn, I mean, he was in the SAS. That's athletic enough. You don't need to kind of do anything along those lines. Wayne Gardner, world motorcycle champion. Elton Flatley, captain, vice-captain of the Wallabies. Guy Leach, world champion Ironman, Iron nearly Man. an Olympian in swimming. Justin yep. Melvey uh, on the Australian freestyle ski team could have been an Olympian had it, had he been in the right period of time and, when freestyle skiing accomplished, was released. accomplished in karate as well. It, exactly. So all of you were esteemed athletes essentially out there. So that's, that's fun. That's that's very interesting to kind of go through that one there. Uh, thanks, Grim Recapper, for your question. Triana Butler also. Oh, I don't on know whether we got to the bottom of that. Though. Well, no, yeah, I, I don't know if you gave me an answer, but I was moving yeah, on. But no, I mean, I, I think that Wayne Gardner is more okay. likely that situation. I, I don't I don't see Imogen as being terribly well known. I think that Nick Nicole Dixon, of course, was extraordinarily popular. Yeah. When she was doing what she was doing, but I think yeah. I think the hitting the nail on the head really is that. 
all of us were well out of our primary, well out of our primary time of being in the public eye. And we we said at the beginning, and I still stand by it, that yeah, if you had hindsight and you know you were able to get quote more famous celebrities who were more at the peak, like it could be different. But I wouldn't change the cast of your season. I like, wouldn't think just... that they'd do it. I think that's one of the issues. You're going yeah. to get, you know, for any of these shows, you're for the most part not going to get people who are at the peak of their Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kim, and they're not going to do this. Like it's it's not it's no. not going to be there. Like the the, the one that I the, and the, he was very famous at the time, of course, is Rove because Rove is a massive Survivor fan. He is a huge huge Rove Survivor. Fan. Survivor. I I could see him play because he like he's obsessed with Survivor. Oh, so he, so he hasn't actually done it though. No, he hasn't. Um, right. and, I mean, he was often whispered as a potential host when Channel 10 got I don't think Rove would be a good Survivor host. I'm glad we never got Rove as a Survivor host. But he is – I've interviewed Rove a couple of times, and I often talk to him about Survivor because he loves it. Um, he's actually fa- um, friends with Jeff Probst. When he did his US show, he interviewed Jeff Probst, and it was a fun interview. So, like, yeah, Rove's a mad Survivor fan, so I'd love to see him play. I think that would be very interesting to see how he would do that. Yeah, look, um, you're never going to get somebody who's at the peak of their fame. Yeah. Yeah, uh, on the show because I mean the let's in many rec- in many senses most reality TV shows that are celebrity based is recycling once upon a time names that people yep. might remember. Exactly. Yeah, we and and you know I I fall into that category the same as the rest of them. I mean, we talk. You talk about say something like the Celebrity Apprentice, which of course we know Dicko went on to win one of the seasons. I think I'm pretty sure his was the David Hasselhoff season. Uh, you know, and like, I mean, very well past his prime, but I mean, still quite a big name and marketed heavily around the fact we got David Hasselhoff to be on this season. But um, that, I mean, that would have been your season. If Anna Kornikova was on your season, how differently would that be marketed? Like, come on, like huge name at the time. Um, so, yeah. yeah I, I've, I've gone through elements of disappointment often. <laughs> um, now that I know that we missed out on meeting Anna Kornikova. Yeah, exactly. Trina Butler, also on Twitter. Thanks, Trina, for your question. How immersed do you actually feel out there knowing that it's a celebrity version and there's camera crew everywhere? Well, isn't there camera crew everywhere for the non-celebrity version? Yeah, th- there is. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know if maybe she means like because you're maybe used to it more with camera. I mean, we talked a bit about this with Justin and, you know, people who are sort of, you're used to it a little bit more, aren't you? Like if I went out there, I, I mean, clearly I'm such a celebrity, David, I'm used to cameras in my face all the time, but it's going to be a bit different to me that I'm not maybe used to that as much as, I'm not saying you're being filmed all the time, but you're still yeah, a news crew I, I, in your face. I was certainly used to it and I would have thought that most of the people um, were used to it. Though, of course, acting in front of a camera is different to being caught yeah. by cameras. Um, I mean, I was used to the scenario of being caught by cameras and doing off-the-cuff stuff. You know, nothing I ever did was scripted. So I was used to doing you know, live current affairs um, bits and 30-second news grabs by satellite and all that sort of stuff. So and as a radio was, host too, live yeah, radio I, is a different beast I, itself. Yeah, I'm used to spontaneous uh, yeah. and immediacy of what's yeah. taking place. So it's a bit different to being an actor where it's scripted and you've got lots of cuts and and different opportunities to do it. But um, I would have thought everybody that was in our that was in our show was at least to a degree, you know, not uncomfortable uh, with the cameras and And keep in mind there were times when we managed to get away from the cameras. Like there was that night when um, Imogen um, grabbed me as I was going to the toilet on oh, a place that was most inconvenient at the point of time, given what I was trying to do. But there was, you know, there was that time when Imogen grabbed me and the cameras didn't pick up on that. So she was able to have a significant 
you know, to the game, a significant conversation with me um, at probably three or four o'clock in the morning, which got missed. Well, this is this is one of the biggest baffling things I still take out from your season because Justin talked about it at length about how many things he was able to get away with without a camera being there, and we talked a bit about that in the reunion. And I still stand by the fact that Modern Survivor would not allow you to miss. Like we, we've had cases in the US Survivor where they've missed somebody doing something, and the, they've literally gone, "No, we are not letting you get away with this. You will go and bury that idol, and we are going to refilm you finding that. That is how it's going to happen." So, like. I just I am baffled that cameras could miss things out because I realize they're not filming you when you're going to the toilet and there are times they're not filming you but when it comes to strategy if they find out later on that there is a strategy talk that they haven't filmed they won't let you get away with that today so I it's think it's fascinating actually, and I think David Mason said something about this um, the other week and that is that it was just a question of budget yeah like, exactly and that's it exactly crew. yeah yeah, I mean, like it's it's like for example, in US Survivor, at Tribal Council, they literally have a camera on every single player. Whereas at yours Tribal Council, I can't imagine they don't have tw- you know six cameras at a six-person Tribal Council. You know, so it's it's yeah, budget. It's a thing there. Uh, I can't really uh, obviously answer that question, Triana, because yeah, I don't yeah, play the could game. Say, so. Just throw this in here. When I did Hell's Kitchen, um, we must have had. I think there were times when I counted there was like ten cameras. Mm. And we're in a fairly enclosed set. So, you know, once again, a different approach, you know, also from a budgetary point of view. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I I love, like, one of my biggest things I love throughout, I mean, I've been covering Survivor now for, for, for 10 years and it's still is always fascinating when I hear these behind the scenes. Because, like, that would be, if I play, ever get to play Survivor, that very first day, to me, I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to be looking at how they're filming it. Like, I'm, you know, it's not a case of me being like, oh, God, I'm on TV. It's more of a case of like, oh, so the producer does that. Oh, I love how that camera person does that. Like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, that's fascinating. Whenever I've gone, been in a studio audience of a TV show, I'm more intrigued by looking at the production and how they're putting it together. And it just, it, it fascinates me. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that question, Triana. Great question. And I will say, we never prompted listeners to let them know that you were on the show. So it's not like these people are sending in questions to ask you. This is no. more of a case. It's, it's turned out some of these questions are very convenient that you're on the show. So I, I like this. Um, also on Twitter, the unofficial Isaac Lou fan club. Great name. Don't know who Isaac Lou is, but uh, I'm sure they're great. On a scale of one to 10, how ruthless was Dicko as the host of Survivor? Oh, what with one being the most ruthless and ten? I'd being say the ten least. being the most ruthless, one one being the least. That's oh, how I would. one, one. I didn't think the ruthless wasn't a word that I would have applied to Dicko at all. Dicko, I, as I said, is a how fellow, well met, and he was being. You know, he has a dry sense of humour, and he was comical and friendly and. I didn't at any stage get the impression that he was even vaguely ruthless. Once I look, I will give him a bit of props for his tribal council questions because we love Lincoln on the show. We're good friends with Lincoln, the host of the first one, but Lincoln was very scripted and structured in his questions. He wasn't really able to ask follow-ups and kind of leading questions and things like that. So like Dico though, at least, was the first Australian survivor host to follow up on things. I think it was the tribal council where Nicole was kind of, you know, dangling some nuggets about like, Oh, and I can't be with it. And Dico's like, well, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Like, tell me who, like what you should be doing as the host. And I, I like, that's not necessarily ruthless, but I think it's just, it's the first time we really got a taste of that on Australian survivor. And I have my problems with JLP, maybe not adhering to what he should be doing with follow up questions. So I'm going to give him at least a, 
a four, just on the nature of tribal council of what he was able to do. Everything else, I agree with what you say. You, you and I have a um, have a, a different definition of ruthless. We do, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you, you've gone toe to toe with uh, some big names in Parliament, David. I've just interviewed, well, you know. Guy Leach and David Oldfield, that's nothing. Come on. Stalin was ruthless. Dicko, <laughs> not so much. I, um, Even though they do share quite a lot of things politically. You know, it's, it's quite funny. I don't really ever want to get into political conversations with you because I'm not that smart. But um, I've interviewed both Tony Abbott and Pauline Hanson and I've had very fun stories with both of them in interviewing them. So maybe I could tear that off air. But, um, yeah, interesting times. Well, we, we have that in common. I've interviewed both of them as well. <laughs> wow, that's that's fascinating. Um, Nick uh, on uh, Twitter as well. I'm curious how much anyone, fan or castaway, felt this celebrity cast season was regular Survivor as opposed to a celebrity spin-off. I feel we've kind of answered that really in this episode. It's a good um, question though because he's alluding yeah. to the situation of, well, really what was different about it apart from where the people came from. Uh, he seems to be accepting what you accept and that is that the challenges, the lifestyle, all of these things were the same. It was only the notion of celebrity that changed anything. Even David Mason in his interview did say that he maybe doesn't really fully consider this a proper season of Survivor. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's down to your opinion. There's no yes or no answer with it. You can't fully define it. Like I could sit here and defend it to the death and say it's a proper season based on what I said. But if you're a fan of this show who maybe is a complete true purist, then this isn't maybe a proper season of Survivor. But well, I don't know what it's supposed to be. I mean, yeah, we slept yeah. on the ground. We start we started with nothing. We slept on the ground. There was one period where we were just wet through for three days straight. I was sleeping with my feet in a basket, a wicker basket, trying to keep my feet dry while we we're lying on wet sand. Um there were days or times when we went quite hungry, not quite as hungry as the girls, because we were winning here and there, but you know, we were hungry, we were deprived, um, we were you know, intellectually deprived in the sense of just even what we required to be able to think. And you only have to look at that, um, you only have to look at that challenge, which was the puzzle challenge, to look how badly people did generally where that was concerned, because they just couldn't think. Mind you, a couple of them probably couldn't think terribly much under normal circumstances anyway. But, yeah, it was, it was difficult. But, as I, look, as I put to you, what, what is true survival? My father was a prisoner of war with the Japanese. You know, yeah. My father was in Survivor more than anyone who's ever been in Survivor, be it a celebrity show or, or be it a non-celebrity show. I mean, what is a Survivor? Well, and that's – it's and I think – one thing that I'll say with that is based on what we were discussing before, it ultimately then comes down to the definition of celebrity because yeah. as you've sold yourself, you don't see yourself as a celebrity. No, so I'm, why I'm then if all at the idea of being considered a celebrity, I, I'm a dad and, and that's feeling that's attached to it. And that, and again, that's then not your fault for being on this season. Just like it's not guy's fault that he won how he won. It's not your fault that you're cast on a celebrity season. Again, my point with the Channel 10 versions, people don't look down on Pia Miranda, Shane Gould or David Jeanette for winning their seasons because they were on a half celebrity season. It's, so why is it right that we then say, well, your season doesn't count because it was purely celebrities? I mean, it's. I would argue that All Stars is technically a celebrity season because 
coming into All-Stars, we all know who all the players are, don't we? So in if people consider Survivor contestants celebrities, then they're celebrities. So how we can't fight City Hall. We're probably never going to change it. Exactly. And, and that's and that's where I think, like, to just toe the, the middle line of saying, like, again, it, it comes down to fan interpretation. It's never a solid answer. But I've made my opinions clear, David's opinions. And, and Nick, I would love to know your opinions, maybe, and you think that. The last one I've got here, this was sent to us on Instagram, uh, Ben Varco. Uh, thanks, Ben, for your question. Uh, Hi, guys. Amazing podcast. It's great to hear two passionate guys who are giving credit to the lost seasons. The players' interviews are so good, too. My question, do you think having Justin, Gabby, and Ben at the start of the game and dividing the tribes with equal gender split would have changed the outcome? Look forward to hearing the season wrap-up and you guys tackling the Channel 10 seasons. That's a great question. That so is equal a, gender split, so we had the same number of boys. So, so, let's, so let's imagine that instead of having Ben come in as a reward, Gabby being shipped to a boat and just so like literally Kakula is all six guys, Moso is all six girls. That's oh, how it's I done. thought you were talking about it being three and three on each tie. No, you? no, this is it's it's uh if you're familiar with the US seasons, it's a Vanuatu or an Amazon split. You are literally separating you by genders or a one world oh, split. Well, yeah. I think so, we'd have killed them. You think that was that easy? You would have absolutely dominated that? Oh, you'd have killed them. Absolutely killed them. So I mean uh, nothing really changes then on the ground. I mean, okay, Fiona, let's say Kim still goes first. Um, Ben probably then doesn't go let's second. Keep in, let's keep in mind that you know it was supposed to be Imogen that was going to go. Now, yeah, that would have made the most significant. Imogen, Imogen well, Justin wouldn't have been there to kind of help Kim though. So I feel that Kim would have been more likely to to you know, yeah, would she though? That's a good, yeah, that's yeah. A but good the, the fact that Imogen didn't go because Kim wanted to go, and mm. Kim was of course quite a physical person, so Kim could mm. run, she could swim, she could dance. Great interview um, with Kim, by the way. If you've never listened to it, she gives a great insight of her time. I, I did. There, so. I did hear some of Kim's. Um, so she, um, if she had not elected to fall on her sword and go, then Imogen was going to get voted out, and that would have changed things to such a degree that it's hard to imagine how it might have finished up. That would have yeah. been. That's the thing which mostly would have changed. But anything that happened would have changed because whatever you, you know, whatever you pull out it changes what's what's going to take place. But if it had been all boys and all girls and the tribes had never changed, then, look, don't be surprised. With reality the way it was then, sorry, it's going to take me just a second to answer this. With reality as it was the way then, as it was on that program where they let it happen as it actually naturally happened and they weren't trying to manipulate everything behind the scenes, then I think that what would have happened um, and is that you may have got down to a point where the girls' tribe was almost destroyed, almost completely gone. And when there was a finally a tribe, you know, intermingling, there might have been one or two girls and four or five guys. You wouldn't have gotten anywhere near some sort of even split. It might have even got to the point where there was down to only one girl left. If the, one, the one thing I would say that I think would be different if they did that is I would assume they would change the challenges up. They'd have to manipulate the challenge, but once again, then they'd be manipulating things. But, yeah, which, I mean, it, it is a survivor. Like, that's the closest survivor ever gets to manipulating things is that yeah. they will put a convenient challenge in somewhere because they want someone to stay around longer. And these um, days, these days, that's why I premised it with 
as it yeah. was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Days, in, from what I have experienced but, from, to, yeah. from reality TV, so these days they would never let that happen. They would always be trying to manipulate things so there was an even gender balance all yeah. the way through. And I think if you, if you let it go and you just let it play out organically and naturally, um, you know, the girls were going to suffer more physically in every respect. And the exceptions probably would have been Fiona um, because, once again, you know, we're not talking about, you know, not talking about Kathy Freeman. We're not talking about Yvonne Goolagong. We're not talking about, um, goodness, the lovely Shane Gould. We're not talking about Yana Pittman. You know, we're, we're talking about women who were not especially fit in the first place. Um, there are no, from what I can recollect, there's, like you pointed out a moment ago, that most of the guys had a physical background um, with sporting achievement of some kind. There's none of that where the girls are concerned. So you're, and you're talking about delicate flowers, and I, I don't want to get into trouble for saying that. It's no, just well, I a, think in respect to what you're saying. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I would just say in respect to my point about the challenges is that if you go, if David Mason knows that he's going to split both the tribes by gender and this is still the cast, and this is no disrespect to the physical abilities of the females, but I think that you would have to even the challenges up because you do have six very athletic men, literally professional athletes. Or well, five um, one old guy. Yeah, <laughs> Ben's not that old. Um, no, I think that I, you- was, I was the oldest person in <laughs> the show. So I think that it just changed. I mean, it's a great question. I love this question because I think it's on paper. It's 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 great to talk about it. But I think yeah, you've got a scenario like that. There's going to be things that change. I also think that like my my if I was to send if I was a listener of ASA, what a great show it is. Subscribe now. I would be asked. My biggest question would be like, what would happen? if there was no twist, like if you legitimately said, we're only doing 10 episodes, we're not doing 12 uh, and we never had the twist and it's, you know, still plays out the same way. So the final three is you, Imogen and Nicole. Um, You know, that to me is the biggest, you know, like question I would love to, to know, like the final two of you and Imogen. Oh, that gets me excited. (laughs) Well, but it could have been Nicole and Imogen. The, um, yeah. I mean, we know how it would have played out. We just depended on who won the next immunity. Do you think you would have stood on that that pla- that uh, raft at the end? How do you think you would have gone on the balance at the very end, the, the challenge that Justin ultimately ended up winning? Um, what's so if I'd been up against Imogen and Nicole? If it's an Imogen, Nicole, final three, you're on that raft balancing, uh, you know, do you think you – I, I like. I'm not. I, I still think it would come down at you and Image. I'm not trying to be disrespectful yeah, to Nicole, but I mean Nicole didn't really do well in any of the physical challenges based on what I saw. So, the physical fact of it is that the girls do have a low. Yeah, you know, they're both also um, petite girls, so they you know, have a lower centre of gravity. They they you know are advantaged in something like that. So it's hard to tell. I, they may have done better. Imogen did very well. She was right up there until they kind yeah, of did the last that, bit. I mean, that and, doesn't surprise me. There was definitely a challenge across the season, which I thought was very unfair to Imogen and Nicole. It was the one where you were holding the um, the pole on your head. I think that was a challenge after you got voted out. And they were holding it for, um, I think that was a reward challenge. And they basically, like generally how you should do those challenges is 
you get it based on a percentage of your body weight and what you're holding. So it's fair because obviously Nicole is very small, whereas Guy Leach is, you know, quite a muscular athlete. But therefore, they were all still holding exactly the same weight. So, of course, Nicole and Imogen went very quickly and then Guy and Justin were in it for a long time. So that's where I thought, like, okay, that's very unfair on Nicole and Imogen. That should be based on body weight percentage, not on, you know, everyone holds 100 kilos, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Yeah, look, it's it's always going to be uh, look the absolute. Oh God, you know, I'm just going to get into trouble for saying. Careful, this, David, like, dig, I'll get your shovel. Start digging your hole. Come yeah, on, no, yeah, start digging that <laughs> hole for something. But the absolute <laughs> fairest way of doing it would be to have women against women and men against men, um, because yeah, then look, you don't then you don't have to manipulate these things. Like you don't have to say, oh, that girl only weighs you know, sixty kilos, so we can't have her do quite what this guy who weighs 90 kilos think- and dribbling with muscles. It's, you know, so all of these things, once once you intermingle, and it's not even, forget about, forget about the aspect of gender. What we're really doing is that gender often to a degree dictates physical size more than anything else. Let's just look at it from a physical size point of view. If you're going to have um, six guy leeches up against six Wayne Gardeners, which six do we think is going to win? You know, it is, it is yeah. just, it's just simply a question of that. I mean, if you're going to have six Imogens up against six Fiona Horns, I mean, it's the Fiona Horns that are going to win. Um, and I think that at the end, like, yeah, and I think the key thing I would say if they went into this knowing it would be a gender split, I almost feel it would be cast differently as well because that's where removing gender, like if, if these are just neutral people based on their physical ability like you're alluding to, you've got six people who at some point in their life have some sort of physical athletic ability on a professional level versus six people who are not. And like even if you – let's reverse the roles. If you had six professional female athletes up against six males who were just – and I'm not saying disrespect a politician, but a politician who's not had an athletic background, a, a, you know, a social media influencing male model, like people who don't have physical activities, I would then put my money on all the six female athletes any day of the week. Um, so I think that's where you would do it differently. But it's a, it's a great question, um, Ben. I, I really, really like that question, actually. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot now, David. Who, do you, who wins? Who, what was your favourite question out of all of those? Who well, do you want to get the buffs? I would think that the fairest approach to winning the question would have been the um, the, the question that promoted the greatest level of, of discussion and, you know, the greatest thought for mm, the what-ifs scenario, and, and that would clearly be that last question with regards to um, this, the different division of the tribes in the first place. I like Based that fairness gender. of it. There you go. All right. Ben, Ben Varco, congratulations. You have a set of buffs coming your way. Congratulations, Ben. There you go. Great name too. Hate from all those other people that lost. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Don't think of yourself as not loose. <laughs> ah, Dez won't mind. Dez won't mind. Dez, Dez will go to the doctor. He'll be okay. Um, so what we also like to do at the end of these, and this is, I'm so fascinated to be able to ask you these because generally this is a Matt Dyson and I last season we had Cable and Maddie Carr on to give the answers ones. These, 
for people who, again, who have followed uh, previous podcasts I've hosted back in the day when I used to host Survivor Oz and we would do a, a recap of US seasons, these kind of come from what we used to do there. And I will say that Matt Dyson has sent in his answers to these questions, so I can give you his answers. So these are just kind of quick-fire questions, final thoughts on certain parts of the season. And I want to say, David Oldfield, I will let you answer yourself for some of these. Uh, so you, what, sorry? You, so some of these will relate to players on your season. You can yeah. answer yourself. Usually I say no, you can't answer yourself. But okay. if you generally believe that you are the answer to one of these questions, I will allow you to answer it. Well, so, thank you very much. All thank right. You very much. So let's go for the first question. Who is the most underrated player of your season? Oh, uh, um, you know, I don't think there really is one. I mean, when I look at it from my point and from my position, as I judge things, and I can only really do that. It's very hard to judge things based on what somebody else would judge or how they would judge the old getting into somebody else's shoes. I don't know that any of them have been underrated. Um, I suppose in that respect, it's also difficult to answer because I don't really, I'm not really sure how people have rated people. But when I look at everybody's contribution, I don't see that anyone has been underrated. And let me put it to you this way, for example, is there anyone saying, Wayne Gardner should have won? Mm. And I don't think there is. And you know, Wayne Gardner was never going to win because Wayne Gardner just upset everybody. Um, and you know, didn't get, we didn't upset me, but he, he, he couldn't get along with the girls at any stage. Um, so is anyone saying that Wayne Garner should have won? No. So is, has he been underrated in any way? No. Um, is anyone saying Imogen should have won? Yes. Some people are saying Imogen should have won, but is Imogen seen as underrated? I don't think so. Mostly. Um, Imogen is held up as, you know, you've talked about her being the queen of Survivor and all this sort of stuff. So she hasn't been underrated. Um, Guy won. How do you underrate that? Um, mm. Justin, I, I'm not aware of anyone saying Justin should have won. So to be, this might seem like a, a non-way of answering, but my genuine view is that I can't see there's anybody who is underrated. If I could put it to you this way, is there somebody who might have done a lot better than they did and in that sense has not been able to be rated because they didn't spend enough time, then I would say that's Kim Johnson because she was clearly a very athletic young woman who was smart and had a great deal of of capability but didn't like it and wanted to go home. So I I would have expected that Kim would have shone in quite a lot of the uh, physical activities and the other things as well and probably could have gone on for quite some time. It's it's a very interesting perspective in how you put that. And I, th- I definitely think you two obviously have that unique distinction of having played with these people. So you also can maybe look at that perspective. I would say, like, I've got, I've got Matt's answer here and I kind of get Matt's answer. So he says Fiona. And I think a lot of that comes from earlier on in the season that, you, you know, Fiona, she would have been so fascinating to see go deep into the game because I think she was... She was working things out. She was kind of, she was playing the game. Like, and that's kind of what she was doing. Like, if you've got Fiona on a modern season of Survivor, you're lauding her as a great player. Um, so, 
Yeah, and Matt was very pro Fiona and would have liked to have seen her go far. I, 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 Fiona annoyed me watching it, but I appreciated what Fiona was doing. Um, so I can see that answer. My answer, um, and like I look at this as that, like I like what you're saying there. Like, I, I, I wouldn't say Imogen or yourself are underrated because. Most fans, if they know anything about your season, say that you and Imogen were the best players of the season, you know, and that's not to take away from Guy winning, but we know Guy's circumstances on winning and how yeah. that you can say that. So I in no way think that you're underrated or I think you guys get the praise you deserve and we're glad to praise you more. I My answer's changed and it's based on covering it closely and the interview I did with him. I'm going to say Justin because I said going into this that Justin might be one of the strangest, most unusual people to ever cover in Australian Survivor. And I still stand by that fact because Justin was very hard to read as a fan watching this. But I think what I appreciate about Justin and in learning more about his game is that he was aware of what he was doing seemingly. He was able to do things like manipulate like camera crews. Like, and I, I am always a fan of when players are able to manipulate the production to their their you know positive game and then i just i love this level of justin where he was basically like i was out there to play for money i only cared about making money he got to the end i made it to the end as far as i can get i'm gonna get paid as much as i do i don't give a shit about winning like i just i I just i kind of like that nature of him and i think he's a, a lot smarter than anybody's ever given credit for for how he's played the game and i like it's interesting when you say that i'm not necessarily saying justin deserved to win because even Justin himself will say, I didn't deserve to win. But I just, I like that he's got that level. And he's still got two votes at the end. He he came one vote away from winning this game. We can't ignore that fact. So I'm just going to say Justin, because I feel that I've appreciated Justin the most in terms of changing my opinion. That and Elton, just Elton as an as a entertainment value. Um, so yeah, I, my answer to that is Justin Melby. So yeah, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, this one, uh, I'll say that... Um, I will say that Matt. I just want to make. I just want to make a point on the concept of voting. Sure. Um, there's no one who should have been voting for Justin uh, in the sense of a vote that is taken when all things are considered appropriately. But the fact is, and I, I do know quite a bit about voting because all voting is voting, and it doesn't matter whether you're voting for someone who is the most popular singer or whether you're voting for a politician. It's all about a personal view and an outcome based on desire. And you know, if you look at Simply Australia, about 35% of people all vote one particular way every time in every election with never changing. And the another 35% vote the other way, never changing, won't matter what's happened. And then you've got you know that sort of 30% in the middle who go somewhere different or jump back and forwards between the other two groups of 35%. Most of that voting is not terribly weighed up with a great deal of consideration beyond personal outcome. Mm. And in the case where Justin is concerned, um, the people who voted for Justin voted for Justin because they simply liked Justin more than Guy. Justin was by no fair evaluation a more deserving winner than Guy. He wasn't even on the same level. So if voting was ever, and it isn't ever, but if voting was ever undertaken in an unbiased sense where all the considerations are pragmatic, then Justin wouldn't have had a vote. And I say that in the sense of saying he was one vote away from winning only because people don't vote the way they should. 
<laughs> look, look, I, I, I completely see what you're saying, but I guess my counter to that would be is like how do you fully, I guess, declare somebody is deserving? Like, like I, I get your point because I get exactly what you're saying, but, you know, we've had many, we've had many winners in US Survivor who – it's argued that, oh, they only won because there was a bitter jury and everybody voted for them because they didn't want the other person to win. But at the end of the day, my argument would be, well, they did what they could do to get to the end to to be there, to be voted yeah. for in the first place. So- let, me, let me put it to you this way. Um, if we had had a girl and a guy going into, I don't mean our guy, but a girl and a boy going into the final, there would have been people on the jury who would have voted who their their casting of their vote would have been influenced because of the gender. Do you think that is always necessarily the case, though? Do you, like, firmly think that you would have that? I know that that would have happened on our survivor. I don't know. I can't sort of speak about other survivors, but the fact of the matter is both in politics and in this circumstance that I'm most familiar with because I was there, if there had been a female in the final two, the ultimate judgment that would have turned the vote towards that female for some people on the jury would have been the fact they were female. Interesting. Okay. All right. Something that happens across the board. All the, I mean, how often have you heard someone say, um, but it'd be good if a girl won. Well, sorry, well, what, any girl? Or so like if we've, got a girl that's in the final two, um, we've got to make sure we vote for her because it'd be good if a girl won. I think at the end of the day, however a person votes is formed, like it comes back to what we're saying about opinions. You're going to form it on however you are and at the end of the day, that's how you're going to do it. And the bottom line is that most people will vote based on who they like. Yeah. And look, I I think, you know, it's all well and good to say this right now, sitting in a chair in a in a room talking on a computer, not yeah. being out there in the heat of the moment, being affected by emotions after 25 days and all that kind of thing. But, like, I would like to think that I would vote based on who I deem the most deserving, as you were saying, and that, but my criteria of who is the most deserving would maybe differ to your criteria of who is the most deserving and who Imogen's is, a, you know, and things like that. So, yeah. great, great. And it's, not, and it's not your fault your criteria would be wrong. Exactly, exactly, you know. But, look, the bottom line is most people don't do it. Most people don't approach anything in a pragmatic sense. You know, we are human beings. We have the same emotional relationship and um, the same emotional reactions to things that our predecessors had 10,000 years ago. Human beings have evolved all manner of technology beyond, you know, something our grandparents could never have dreamt of. But we still fundamentally, in many respects, um, think the same way as they did and think the same way, as I say, our emotive reactions and responses are largely the same as those of people 10,000 years ago, except that we know that, you know, lightning isn't God throwing something at the earth. Well, you know, we obviously itself, know about the planets. We know about weather. We Next know you're going to tell me uh, sand is not real, David. What are you doing? <laughs> we, know, we know all of these sorts of things. But as far as emotions are concerned, people fundamentally act the same way as they did, which is why we still have domestic violence and why we still have rape and why we still have murder and all that. You know, whenever you can find a society where they have eliminated crime, then you'll have a society where people have actually genuinely emotionally evolved. And that doesn't exist. 
So um, voting is never going to be pragmatic. And in that sense, it's never going to be fair, but it's going to be an outcome and people are stuck with the outcome. We'll say these, these are meant to be quick fire questions. We've mentioned rape and murder. So I feel it's a perfect time to move on to the next question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which again, uh, you, Matt's answer for this is you. I am also going to answer you and I, people, oh, you're sucking up because he's on the show. I would. No, no, I would is this answer. the question biggest asshole on the show? Oh, you've got it in one. Here well, it I is. Knew it would have uh, to be that. The player most likely to get Australian Survivor Archives cancelled. Um, who was the best player all season? The best player all season. Hmm. Yeah, well, I can't look. I genuinely, I, I love the idea that you guys think it's me. That was that's most kind. But I mean, I, I, I don't. I genuinely don't see me. Um, But I am having difficulty. I, look, I always thought that Guy deserved to win. Even, and when it all happened as it did, I still thought Guy was the most deserving winner, given his general actions from the beginning all the way through, his physical capabilities, his capacity um, when it came to uh, being utterly reliable and genuine in the way he approached things and um you know his resilience uh, i thought it was guy that you know deserved to win from the start all the way through to what took place um i can see you know as i look back on it now i can see why people might think that there were certain things that i did really well and I'm grateful to have been able to be seen that way. And there are elements of Survivor that I'm, um, I always hesitate to use the word proud, but there are elements of Survivor that I'm very comfortable with that I did. There are other elements where I could have done a lot better and should have, and I find difficulty finding excuses for myself. Um, and I tend not to excuse myself uh, for things. If I think I've been responsible for something that's happened to me, I well and truly take that poor credit on myself. Yeah, look, uh, this is a long-winded way of answering. I, I have difficulty. I really have difficulty I finding, think it's, finding the answer to that question. Um, let me count people out. <laughs> let me count people out. You're um, such a politician, Dave. you got to, no, you know. No, I'm really not. You know, so, I, I, there was one, tell you what, there was one point during that program where Dicko said, oh, a typical answer from a politician. It wasn't a typical answer from a politician. It was a typical he, answer. He asked you a yes or no question. You couldn't give him a yes or no. That's you don't have politicians no to know that's frustrating, David. Wasn't Come yes on. Or no, wasn't a yes or no answer. Now, we live in a society today <laughs> where everybody always tells us there is no yes and no because yes and no is black and white. Got to keep that well, in mind. Okay. Yes, well, okay. Let's, no let's test you. Can I, can I test and you, David? We're stuck in a society, particularly today, <laughs> where the very people who don't want yes and no answers seem to demand them. And when Dicko asked me that, there was no yes and no answer from my point of view because it was much more involved than a simple yes or no. In this case, I'd have to count people out. And, you know, I'd look at, um, um, like, Fiona um, didn't psychologically approach things well in the sense of getting along with people, you know, she made the mistake of taking a lead role and the leaders put themselves in a position of being assassinated or deposed. So 
getting ahead doesn't necessarily mean being in charge. Um, it can just set you up to fail and be removed. Um, Wayne, you know, really in almost a misogynistic way, and I'm not saying he's a misogynist, but in almost a, a female disliking way, upset the girls. And I could upset women by just simply calling them girls, depending on who they are. I mean, I remember once upon a time, people liked to be called a lady. These days, you can actually, it can be considered offensive if you refer to a female as a lady because it's some social construct of white middle-aged men, apparently. Um, so, you know, times are changing and people can be difficult. It's a question that for me, there is no yes or no, and there is no definitive person. Um, I was going to test you and say, so if I was a flat out say to you right now, was Guy Leach the best player of this season? Yes or no? You would answer. answer no. Okay. Well, there you go. There it is. Yay. That guy wasn't the best player. He wasn't the best player of the season, but I think he was the most deserved of the. I'm just happy you gave me a yes or no answer, David. I'll give you yes or no answers on all sorts of things, but there are questions where there are not clear yes and no's because there are so many other. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. I do. I I do. I do. I'll just look. I the thing I'll say about Guy quickly is that. Just let me also quickly say this. The difficulty also with yes and no answers is because they can often be terribly misinterpreted by people. Yeah. If a yes or no answer is given without much in the way of, of an understanding or an explanation. Yeah, you know, no, I, what, I agree. What you say as a yes can then be suddenly extrapolated into something which is entirely unrelated to what you meant. So yeah. most things require explanations and many things do not have just simple yes and no answers. And I, I feel with each of these questions, we're going to get these answers from you, David. I'm intrigued. But No, no, Guy- but was, was Elton the best player? No. Was Guy the best player? No. Was Guy the person who most deserved to win? I think yes, which also tells us that, ne- that being the best player doesn't necessarily mean you are the most deserved winner because you could fall down in certain areas. And if I could put it to you this way, in my, in my minimal understanding of, of how to win at things like Survivor, and in many respects, Survivor is a microcosm of society. And in the way to win is to not be too good, but be good enough. Um, not be too friendly, but be friendly enough. Yeah, it's, it is mostly a matter of, of moderation as you're going through a whole range of things. You don't want to seem too good because a lot of people don't like people who are very good at things. They prefer people who are closer to their own skill set. You don't necessarily want to appear too smart because a lot of people associate intelligence with being sneaky, which mm. is ridiculous. Was Einstein sneaky? I mean, it's just ridiculous. But that's the way we are as emotive human beings. We're, as I say, we're still living 10,000 BC where those things are concerned. So, sorry, it's gone well beyond. Well you really, beyond. I, I mean, look, I'm just, it, it, I can't help but listen to you, um, A, because you won't shut up, David. Come on. Yes, that's show true. Is a good show. And uh, B, um, you, you do make some very fascinating points, which is, which is interesting. I just wanted to quickly touch on Guy and just say that, I think that if Guy had won this season without being voted out, no twist, and he just... Because, like, the thing that's always fascinating about watching Guy is that I think Guy is a great player of this game. He's, he's a threat on every single level. It's just he has that unfortunate distinction of having been voted out. Uh, and, and so that's and, where it comes against it. You know? And in and reality, a- without the twist, Guy probably wouldn't have won. 
Yeah, well, exactly, exactly, and And I agree with that. And the reason why Guy wouldn't have won was because he would have been seen as too much of a threat in the first place and voted out early. And there's there's a question coming up which I'll we'll get to and I'll kind of explain something around Guy. I I mean, to me, that was that's the answer to that question is either you or Imogen, but I think that just you get the nod from me. Just it comes down to that you played it the most complete. It's not to take away from Imogen, but there were definitely moments where Imogen almost lucked into a few things and kind of played it when it got given to her. Is it kind of just seemed like you were always playing? Um, so, and that's how I interpret it. And that's how I look at it based on the edit and everything and through talking to you and everything. And I think that I also judge it based on the fact that how like a, a common way of looking at a, a player's game in Survivor is if you were to play 10 times, how would you do out of those 10 times? You know, one out of 10, you might win. Five out of 10 times, you might win. You know, zero. Like, And I think that you're the type of player that if you play 10 times, you're going to go far every single one of those 10 times and probably win a couple of times because ultimately winning comes down to luck as much as it does for your skill set. So um, whereas Imogen, not to take away from Imogen because you know I love Imogen. I, I am a massive fan of her gameplay and her as a person. I could easily see her going out very early in some of those 10 times she plays and going deep in some of those 10 times. I don't think she's got the complete level there where it can happen that way. So um, that's that's my reasoning. And, I, and again, I don't have da- uh, Matt's context for his answers, but he's answered you. So uh, best challenge of the season, David, what was the, and this can be based on your thought on you enjoyed it because you did well in it or you just enjoyed it because overall it was a great challenge. Like what was the best challenge of the season? Hmm. Well, look, I mean, I won three challenges. Um, I enjoyed all of them. Um, and the challenge that I, the, the challenge that I thought was the most telling challenge, if I put it that way, was the puzzle. Mm, mm-hmm. I thought that was the most telling challenge because it pitted, it pitted one's capacity to get through the deprivation of nutrients and um, and still have some clear thought. So, it, it, but it wasn't a physical challenge. Um, there are no other particular challenges that come to mind for me as standing out. Uh, there were no others that were particularly individual challenges the i mean obviously the couples challenge that we had towards the end was largely an individual's challenge even though it was a couples thing that mightn't make sense but it does i won't go into it too far um yeah i think i think the puzzle but i but i'm look i'm interested to hear what you guys think because of course obviously there's a level of focus for me on what i mostly remember and i'm mostly yeah. going to remember what it was and that's why i, I kind of yeah i mean that it was up, what yeah. i did myself that i'm going to mostly remember exactly 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 uh matt answered the final challenge so the balancing challenge um oh, okay. that, uh, the end of personally and this like, i have two um I love a gross food eating challenge. I think that should be a staple of any survivor. What's I love it. Grubs? Yeah, like I just I just love watching gross food. Challenges. Mine mine is like one of the first challenges you guys did. I love the pig catching challenge. I just think it's it's a oh, fun yeah, challenge. Oh yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. I, I love just that. It's so it, entertaining it, to watch. 
See, I wouldn't see that's a difficult one. See, here's where we're coming from two different directions as to what we've see. I'm looking for in that question, I'm looking for a challenge where there was an individual winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, absolutely. Whereas the pig thing was a was a, a, was a tribal win. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, I enjoyed the pig challenge. I thought that was a bit of fun, rolling around the mud and all that sort of stuff and quite catching the squealing pigs. No, yeah. I enjoyed that challenge. I did enjoy I think, it. And I think I'll stand by the fact that your season to this day, I think, has the best overall challenges. I mean, we're going to get to the worst challenge now, but, like, to me, my answer is the same as Matt's and there's a reason behind it. Um, but there's no bad challenges in your season. I think we had in season one, we literally had a challenge where they had to fucking weigh a rock and measure a stick. Fucking terrible. Um, mm. So, and in Channel 10 seasons, there's some pretty bad challenges. Whereas your season just was completely complete. The worst challenge, Matt and I have exactly the same answer and it's not the fault of the challenge. It's just how it was done in the context. So it was the first one you won immunity on, the one where they had to place the, the rungs of the ladder. And the reason oh, why, yeah. then Matt Matt says basically the same as I me. Mean, Matt says the one where David was handed victory, they could have done it better. I agree. Should have been the reward challenge. Shouldn't have been the immunity challenge. And it's one of those things where you need to have like question and answers, and it needs to kind of be done on a way if you get it right because it was it was literally they handed it to you, um, and that just was done. It was executed poorly. The challenge wasn't bad. They just could have done it better. So say, yeah. I have the same answer as Matt. Let me put a little bit of spin on that, though, because that's an interesting one. You're quite right. That was handed to me. The question mark or the question there, which um, extrapolates the whole thing into more and once again uh, expands on the notion of the yes and no answer scenario. Mm. Why did they hand it to me? Well, that's a very valid point. Um, was that at that point? Because you were the, the chef? Because the Dicko kept saying about, like, oh, he's the chef? Because that was – was that when Elton was voted out? No, it was when Guy was voted out. Because I think um, – So what I'm saying yeah. to you, the reason why they handed it to me was because I had successfully presented myself as not being any kind of threat. That, so yeah, they, used right. that yeah. to, they used that to keep a person in who wasn't a threat and used it to get rid of somebody who was a threat in the way they perceived it. But it didn't it's, necessarily work out that way. And I think that comes down to, and we, we never took away from you winning that. It's just I think it was the exit. The problem with that is that they got the challenges wrong in that episode. You're saying it should have been a reward challenge. It should have been a reward challenge, and the reward challenge that episode should have been the immunity challenge. What was was the the reward challenge that episode? uh, Where you all had to swim out to the ocean and get the conch from the bottom of the the water, Um, and then each time you would go down, and then you had to drag that treasure chest back up to the shore. Was the Uh, treasure chest part of that too, was it? Yeah, so you had, I think, two rounds of the conches, and then the final three, which memory was you, Justin, and Guy, was it not? Um, or was it you, Elton and Guy? Uh, you had to drag the the chest to the end. I think it was you, um, Justin and Guy. And Guy was always going to win that. But like, I mean, now the, now I, the chest, the chest one, we all dragged, and it. it was a tribal thing where everyone had to swim out and get. The no, chest. this was that. This was a different one. So that was a, a tribal one. But this was the individual one. So because right. Guy took Gabby and Elton, and that's when they went to the the village and um had the the feast, and um him and Elton broke the the chief's beer. Uh, if you remember that episode. So, um, yeah, again, nothing wrong with the challenge. I just think switch them around. That's, it's, it's really that simple. Um, so this is a good one. Uh, the key moment to you of the season that decided the game. So what was the one moment of your season 
And there's an obvious answer to this one. Matt's answer. From my point of view? Well, it can be from your point of view if you want to, or you could just say in general. I mean, Matt's answered the twist. So clearly the twist happening is why Guy won the game, right? If that twist doesn't happen, Guy doesn't win the game. I've got a different answer, but I'm intrigued to see what if you agree with that. Well, it's the twist, and I put the twist on it in this sense in that it was my fault because, um, and I know I've explained it in this way before, but I'll, I'll try and be brief. It was my fault because I should have more very distinctly called the girls out on camera and made sure that they understood about the deal and everything else. And I, I really should have made that much more demonstrable on camera than I really did. And so the twist turning as it, as it did is in many respects my fault because I failed to see that anyone could be so silly as to do what they determined to do. Three votes always undoes two votes. And the idea of turning yourself into two against two when you have the opportunity of being three against two is insanity by any evaluation. So I helped that happen and I'll take responsibility for that by not really calling those girls out very heavily on camera, which would have made it more difficult, I think, for them to do what they did where I was concerned. Uh, In which case the game would have gone a completely different way. Um, When Imogen found the key in the sand, either Guy or um, Justin would have gone home and then we'd have been down to three against one. And then the most likely chances are that um, Justin or Guy, whoever was left, would have gone home and you'd have been back to the last three being the original three. Mm. Which is, I guess, again, we know David Mason thought that was going to happen. Look, I, I think that like, literally the answer, this is probably the, the one season where the answer is the twist because, again, this season would be completely different if that twist doesn't exist. We know that. I did recognise the season would have been completely different if anything had changed. If yeah, Tim true. Johnson, the twist is the most evident, obvious, yeah. global thing. Yeah. My See, my answer is different. I, I'm going with the, the last vote before the merge, Wayne's vote, because that was a contentious vote. It came down to basically Gabby switching over to the girls. And the reason why I say this, because if, if Gabby sides with Wayne and Guy and Imogen goes home, you got to remember at that point, Imogen wouldn't have had a chance to come back into the game because it was only no. the people who were voted out at the merge. You go into a merge, then I'm assuming that Wayne and Guy would then come straight back to you and Elton. Yeah, Justin, Justin is going to go with Gabby and Nicole. Nicole's lost Imogen, so yeah. therefore the domino effect moving down, I see that Nicole probably goes, Gabby probably goes, Justin probably goes. And then if you've got them potentially coming back into the game, you're not going to have what you get. So Guy then might go deeper without having of being voted out. You're still there. Like I just I think that's got more of a domino effect on the game outside of just the simple twist in the final two episodes. So that's where I think that and I think I said that in the episode. That was such a key vote that Wayne went home at that point. Because Wayne and Guy are, are sort of 
older, loyal guys, right? Guy and Wayne would have never broken up. They're strong, kind of loyal blokes. They knew each other before the game. Like, they were never going to turn against each other. So no. that's a solid alliance there that's not going to be broken. And you've broken up the Colin Imogen there. So that's my answer. I think that's a domino effect vote that changes how the merge works out, even with the twist. So, yeah. Look, I, I, I think that's entirely valid. Um, but I say again, you know, if you pull anything out anywhere, you change whatever takes place from the present to the future. And yeah, once again, just imagine how different it would have been if Kim Johnson had decided to stay. And if Imogen had gone. First person. I yeah. don't know how that would have gone. Mm. Um, Imogen wouldn't have been there to come and approach me when I was off doing a wee in the middle of the night. And, <laughs> um, and so Justin wouldn't have gone the next council. council. Everything, everything changes as soon as the slightest thing. I mean, it's like all that stuff that we, any, any of us that are interested in time travel. Yeah. And you know, I, I love time travel shows. And, you know, the, the key factor they always sort of point out in all of those programs is you must not change. Don't kill anybody. Break a leaf. No, a no matter leaf. how small, no matter how insignificant a person might be in history, no one you've ever heard of, but they might be somebody important's grandfather that changes everything. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's so such the smallest thing can make such a huge difference. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, absolutely. Such a huge difference. To if you hadn't have taken a wee when you took a wee, you know. But like- she'd obviously been watching and waiting for an opportunity <laughs> to speak. No, but no, she'd obviously been watching and waiting for an opportunity to speak to me when the cameras were not on us. Yeah. So I mean, and it's to Imogen's credit that she was being that careful. Um, yeah. Yes, all of that could have been entirely different, and I don't know when she else would have gotten to me if I, if I hadn't been for my, you know, um, poorly. Aqua dump, David. Aqua dump swimming out. Well, no, I was I was going to bush for a wee. I wasn't going for an aqua dump. I guess you guys had like a little portaloo thing, right? So I guess that's why you don't need to do an aqua dump when you've kind of got a sort of toilet. So hmm. you've got a difference there. Um, worst moment of the season. I mean, you could say me getting voted out. I'm I didn't something like of that. a bushman, so I'm used to digging a hole. <laughs> just pooping in the hole and covering it in. But, sorry, go on. Your, the worst moment of the season. So, like, I mean, this you could answer me getting voted out. I hated that moment. Or the twist. Like, Matt's answered the twist. I'm going to answer the twist. I think that's the worst moment of the season. Um, so Yeah, well, yeah. That certainly that encapsulates what happened where I was concerned. Yeah, my, my worst moment was realising that I was being done in to no advantage. Yeah, in some respects, and maybe I'm the only person in the world who feels this way, but sometimes when you get done in, you don't sort of feel as badly about it if the person that does you in then goes on to achieve something yeah. as a consequence of having done that. Yeah. But as soon as those girls did that to me, I thought, oh, they, they did. that's why I did this, because they were gone. They were gone. It was just the most ridiculous, stupid, insane thing that anyone could ever come up with. And it made me feel so bad because apart from the fact that yeah, my run had been ended. It had been ended to no productive outcome for the people who did it. They made such a mistake, um, which affected me without it turning out well for them. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, look, I kind of assumed you might have uh, answered that. But, yeah, I, I, I say the twist because I still stand by that it's the worst twist we've ever seen in Australian Survivor history and it's stained the season. Um, and so... you'll probably, I, I gather as a consequence, you'll never see it again. I mean, we've sort of seen similarish things, but not to that extent. They're never going to do it two episodes to go again. Like, no way. Huh. Um, I like this one because I've got the same answer as Matt. 
the biggest WTF, the biggest what the fuck moment of the season. Um, I'm answering the same as Matt. So Matt said, Ben Wynn coming and going without really knowing what the hell he was doing there. I'm answering that too. I'm like, what the f- what the fuck was Ben? Like, that's my answer. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, Ben Ben to me fulfilled what he was supposed to fulfill um, and then was cast aside. Um, the WTF thing for me, and this would be based on my ignorance of Survivor generally, um, was just simply when we had the tribal changes and the intermingle. Mm. Yeah, when mm. that happened, I thought, oh, my God, you know, because you know, I hate change uh, along those sorts of lines, you know. I mean, it's like I'm never changing back to scotch from martinis. And so <laughs> it's just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to yeah. happen. Good answer. Um, I like that. I like that. That, that. that works. Which is it's kind of interesting because, I mean, the tribal swap was, I guess, pretty prominent in US Survivor at that point, but it was still only a few years old and obviously we'd never seen it in Australian Survivor before. So um, and keep in mind, I was not a, um, and my apologies to all the people who are such avid you know, watchers of Survivor, I, I was not a person who watched Survivor. Mm, so yeah. I wasn't familiar with any of these things. You know, I didn't see more than one and a half episodes before I was on the actual. And, and this myself. is and this is where I would argue nowadays the biggest twist to do with the because you know it's just such a stock standard thing of Survivor. Oh, when's the, the swap coming? Don't have one. That's a twist in itself. So people are expecting one. It doesn't yeah. happen. Simple. Yeah. Um, here's the one that you're only allowed to answer one person for, David. You're allowed to answer yourself. A player you would most like to see return that hasn't. Obviously, in the case of your season, no one's returned, so you can literally answer anyone. But if there was an All-Stars 2, they're finally acknowledging your season, one player that you would love to see. And again, you can answer yourself. Well, I don't want to be too elongated with this, but the immediate one that I don't have any great desire to see myself return, but the immediate, uh, because I'm older and slower, even though I'm physically fitter, um, the person that would immediately come to mind to me is Guy. But I also don't want to see Guy return unless Guy won. I, I wouldn't like the idea of Guy returning and not winning. And I, th- I think that would be a letdown. Uh, so um, maybe maybe Fiona. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. And I say that because... Fiona may have gone away and understood what she did wrong from the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, Fiona has a level of natural manipulative talent and Fiona, you know, was quite physical and, and quite tough. So, um, you know, I think probably Fiona. Okay. I like that answer. I, I, I can say I'd love to see Fiona come back. I, th- I agree. I think she would be really entertaining to see come back. Um, Matt's answered you. And I'm also going to answer you. Oh, you're most <laughs> fine. I mean, I, I mean, I kind of gave you the live on air reaction, the fact that you didn't make the Hall of Fame. We recently recorded our Hall of Fame reaction episode. And as I said in that episode, I'm fighting for you every year to make that bloody Hall of Fame until well, you get in the damn thing. It's just evident that for whatever reason, I'm just, I mean, I don't know whether it's me or because it's the celebrity thing, but Guy got in, didn't he? Yeah, Guy did. And I think a lot of that came down because the first year we did the Hall of Fame, we literally had three compulsory slots because we had five going in the first year and we had to have one from season one, one from your season and then one from the Channel 10. This year we combined, so we call you now Classic Era, so your compulsory slot is combined with the Channel 9 version. So your slot went to a Channel 9 contestant. 
But um, to me, I I will be voting for you every single year until so you're did, in. So did the fans vote against? I hate the concept of fans. Did the people who love this show did they vote against me or did they vote against? No, the show? I think the, the the problem with the fan vote, and I'm saying the problem. That sounds like I'm being derogatory to it. The, the issue with the fans yep. voting is that you've got the majority of people who are voting are only familiar with the Channel Ten ones, so they yeah. look at the list of names from those ones where they have to vote for somebody from either season one or season two, they literally go, oh, I don't know who any of these people are. So they'll just click on a random thing or they'll go to Wikipedia and go, oh, who got second? Clearly I'm going to vote for them. You know what I mean? So you yeah. did okay in the fan vote. I'm not saying you did bad in the fan vote. You, um, you only narrowly missed out on that slot. So you, you oh, okay. very nearly got. So I'm, I, I don't like spoiling how the voting goes, but I'm just saying right now that if it goes on the same voting patterns next year, based on that classic slot, you should get in. But um, I don't want to influence it. I'm just on the expert panel. The the one that you won't really be able to answer this one because I, I know you're not. these days is gratefully. <laughs> You'll get there eventually, David. Don't worry. Uh, w- one thing that we obviously couldn't do in the first season because we'd only covered one season is I'd love to, at the every season wrap we do, I'm going to get us to rank the seasons. Now, obviously, I know you're not familiar with the Channel 9 one, so I'm not going to ask you to do this. But So Matt has given me an answer to this. This basically comes down to whether we would rank your season above or below the Channel 9 season, season 1. Um, I'm not even going to drag this out, uh, and it's no disrespect to your season, but I am so such an advocate of season 1, and I just think it's just such a great season, underappreciated, underrespected, all that sort of stuff. So I would rank the seasons as your season at number 2, season 1 at number 1. Matt's done the same thing as well. Um, and, but that's not necessarily going to be reflected. I, I will spoil this now and say, I'm going to rate your season above some of the channel 10 seasons. So, um, there's just a spoiler alert for you, but, um, so why am I sucking up to you? I just, for the fuck's sake, okay. it's my opinion. Season one's better than yours. Well, that's a, <laughs> sorry. Am I getting a vote here? Uh, well, I mean, if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. See, once again, this is one of those can't be yes or no. I'm not qualified to vote on this because <laughs> I'm not familiar enough with the content of the that, other And that's why I say, like, I know you don't really are familiar with that season. And yeah, so, I, so I would be an absolutely appalling person if I was to vote <laughs> on that because I don't have the information. Now, imagine this. Imagine if people who don't have the information based whether they should vote or not on that fact. Uh, no one would ever do such a thing, Dad. What are you talking? That sounds like a fantasy world. We're back in Sylvan's fantasy. What are you talking about? I'm not going to because I don't have the information to be able to properly cast a vote because I really can't determine what the outcome should be. Never <laughs> thought that would be such a thing. The one last thing I'm going to quickly run through before I wrap it up. Um, Matt came up with a great idea to kind of do a modern take on Celebrity Survivor. So if we were to recast this season into 2021, how would we do this? And I, I actually don't know Matt's criteria. I'm assuming Matt's kind of done a similar thing to what I've done. I've basically gone through the cast and I've basically gone, okay, this person is a football player. I'm going to replace him with a football player. This person is this person. I'm going to replace him with that. So that's what I've done on my cast list. So I'm going to go down these in order and Matt's is in a slightly different order. And again, sadly, we don't have Matt here to kind of say why he's gone for who some of these are. But um, I'll go through this. And, David, I'd love to get your thoughts on how this goes. So, for the first one, I've I've looked at um, Ben Wynn. So, Ben Wynn is a, an SAS guy. He's kind of an army guy. Like, you know, he's kind of been brought in. He's the non-celebrity of this season. 
I have gone, and, and I know you're not going to be familiar with this person, but Survivor fans would be. I've gone for Mark Wales, who was a season four contestant. He was on a Channel 10 version. He was, um, I believe, in the SAS or some form of uh, military type of uh, aspect. And I think he kind of fits that role. And I think he's somewhat of a quasi-celebrity because, again, Australian Survivor contestants, like we've had Luke just recently winged brother. David Jeanette went on Celebrity Apprentice. Um, Lockie, of course, was The Bachelor. So, like, they're kind of quasi-celebrities. So, I'm going to put Mark Wales to fit that role in there. Um, I just want to point out that Matt has literally put Ben Wynn back on this season. <laughs> so, well, ben Wynn's probably getting on a bit by now. Yeah. Well, he was, what, 32 back then. So, he'd be, what's it's that, uh, 47 now. Yeah. So, um yeah, so interesting. Interesting, Matt, Matt, that you've gone there. Next one, we've got Wayne Gardner. Now, I've gone for, um, I've literally gone for Casey Stoner, uh, two-time motorcycle champion. I could have gone for Mick Doohan, but I thought Mick Doohan might be too famous. Uh, so I've got Casey Stoner. He's a bit of a personality, is Casey. Uh, you know, some fans love him, some fans don't. He's still quite young. Casey, I've got to say, he's probably only a few years older than I am. So I think Casey Stoner would fit well into that mould and see there. So um, I'm going to go yeah, that. I mean, now I'm somebody, gonna... somebody in their 30s is a relatively young person. So Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Thank you. I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming eight. <laughs> Still a spring chicken, David. Come on. Uh, um, now, Matt, I, I, again, I'm just going to I'm gonna judge on who Matt's filled that role. Matt's literally put Mark Webber on here, which makes me happy. I'm an F1 uh, nut. So um, I'm assuming that's the role of the motor racing person. I was nearly going to put Mark Webber, but I'm looking at this from a realistic perspective. And I think Mark Webber's maybe a bit too... Because he's still very busy, he's still he's a quite a prominent TV host. He kind of commentates Formula One, so I don't think he would have the time. If I was to have open slather on this and go any motor racing person, Daniel Ricciardo would be brilliant on any reality TV because he's such a personality. So, but again, he's still racing. He's not going to take you know a couple of weeks off to go film in Vanuatu. But I like that answer, Matt. Um, our next one is Guy Leach's role. Um, and I've gone for a really obvious one, a man who nearly hosted Australian Survivor back in season one. I've gone for Grant Kenny. Um, I just think that you think Iron Man, you think of Guy Leach and Grant Kenny. So uh, I'm putting Grant Kenny in that role. Um, and I'm trying to work out... I think Grant Kenny also is probably getting on a bit by now. Yeah, I think I looked him up. I think he's um, a bit older than Guy, but he's looking pretty fit from what I can see. Yeah. Um I Mind don't you, of know. Of course, American Survivor did have that guy who was the um, SEAL, who was Rudy, I think it was. Who was yeah, 70. Rudy, yeah, he's 70. He's still he's the oldest guy to ever play. Yeah. yeah, and he came back for All-Stars and he was even older, of course. I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that Matt, has, like, because he hasn't really chosen an Iron Man, but he's got Andrew Simons on here, the cricketer, and there's no cricketer on this season. So I'm assuming Andrew Simons feels um, guy's role, which is interesting. I'd see Andrew Simons on Survivor. He'd be entertaining. He'd be good. Um now, Elton Flatley's role, obviously kind of the rugby player, but I've, I've gone for the Tasmanian perspective of I'm more of an AFL guy. So I've gone for an Australian footballer. I've gone for Jonathan Brown, uh, former Brisbane Lions champion, three-time premiership. He's a personality. He's very, you know, very Australian bloke, kind of like, spooks like, very much like Elton. And I think he would bring a lot to the, the table. I was thinking of maybe, you know, someone like a Jason Ackermanis, but... Jason Ackermanis is more of a aloof personality, you know, whereas I think Jonathan Brown's more is of a... Jason Ackermanis, the guy with the earrings and the bleach blonde hair? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I okay. think you'd be familiar with him. But, uh, no, I think Jonathan Brown fits more of an Elton Flatley. So that's who I've gone for there. Um, 
And Matt, the only football player he's got on here is a soccer player, Archie Thompson. I love me, Archie Thompson. Archie Thompson's a great guy. Uh, I'd be happy with that. But I, I can't. There's no rugby or AFL player on there. So I'm, I'm going for a football uh, perspective there. Um, <laughs> I had fun with this one. For the Gabrielle Richens role, no. kind of like your socialite, kind of, you know, known for her looks and this is a bit of a connection to a TV show that you did, uh, David. I've gone for Gina Liano, Real Housewives. <laughs> I don't know why. I've never watched the show. Um, but I kind of feel she fits that Gabrielle Richards role, if you see where I'm going with that. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I've, I've, never met, I've never met Gina Liano. Um, I know exactly who you mean, but um, yeah. I, I, um, I mean she's. Um, you know, you, you might see, <laughs> you might see her on the cover of Barrister Weekly or something. But, um, I, I'm, you're not likely to see her in a bikini anytime soon. No, no, um, no. She was on a season of Celebrity Apprentice that I think I watched. I think it's the only thing I've seen her in, and she was okay yeah, on that. I, so I, I get the impression that she would. Um, I think firstly she would struggle from what I know of her. Mm-hmm. Um, not having met her, but having seen quite a bit and have a bit of an insight to the personality, I think she would struggle with the privations. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think that's where the entertainment comes in, right? Like it would be kind of like how would she, no, you there'd know. There'd be no switch. Her hairdresser obviously couldn't yeah. come <laughs> And I also think like I, and I'm sure, I think maybe, maybe that would be her luxury item. Maybe. To take her hairdresser. A hairdresser, yeah. You get a salon out there. I, and, again, I will reiterate that I've also gone for people who I realistically think would do this, and I can't say Gianna, Gianna, Gina Liano would ever say no to a reality show. So, I mean, come on. Um, now, I'm well, assuming I again. probably say no to Survivor. I, but, again, maybe she's given enough money. I don't know. You know, like you never know. I'm, again, judging based on looking at Matt's list, who I think, and this is a person who I literally Googled, but as soon as I Googled them, I know who they were. He's gone for somebody called Renee Gracie. Now, that's not a household name, but she's a former V8 supercar driver turned porn star. She got a lot of publicity in the last few years because she left racing in the V8 oh, supercar. Oh, I, I do know who you mean. You know, yeah, I right? On Instagram. Yeah, and yeah, I th- I know, I'm assuming I that's a Gabrielle Richens role. Uh, yeah, so... I well, like that, that choice, Matt. I guess that makes more sense here. Yeah. And look, she's probably um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I've seen her in the media also because of the fact that she's become a porn star and all that sort of stuff. Because um, it seemed like such an odd change, but mm. um, I guess it's just it's just something that's financially based. She could obviously make more money out of that than being a. I think she's gone back to car racing from memory. I think I did see that she, she gave up on porn. Was she and gone ever back to much of a car racer? No, she. I mean, she she. She did Bathurst and a few things, and I think maybe got a point here or there, but she was never, you know, she was never yeah, going to so, go as far as, as she has in porn. That sounds But wrong. she's not a star. She's just somebody who drives a car. Yeah, well, I, th- I think she got the publicity because she literally switched to porn, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not taking away from her driving ability. If you make the V8 Supercar Championships, you've got some talent to make a field of, you know, 20, 30 drivers. Oh, but, yeah, um, that's what they say about girls who get through Ranger School. Yeah. Um, so, um, News.com.au, uh, if you're listening, there's another one for you. And uh, no, not touching that I, one. I um, <laughs> let's move on yeah, to no, the no, David was- Oldfield role, the, the recasting the politician. Yeah. Um, now, Matt has gone, and I had to I honestly admit, I had to, uh, I had to Google them. Uh, wasn't familiar. Uh, but uh, I still don't really know who they are, to be honest. You might know. Uh, Jacinta Price. 
Uh, do we are we familiar with Jacinta Price? Seeing here an Australian activist and politician oh. from the Northern Territory. The name is vaguely rings. I think she's. Um, oh yeah, I think she's a, a an Aboriginal lady. Uh, I believe she is. Yes, um, yeah. but I, I'm not. I'm she's, not familiar um, with her. So yeah, no. She well. She seems, once again, I haven't met her, but I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. And, look, all I can say is that she seems to be a nice, well-spoken woman. Um, I don't know how I, she is athletically. I can't quite – I've kind of got a bit of a picture of her. I can't quite see her athletically. I'd have a, I'd have a different one to that. Who would you um, have, actually? Let's, uh, you, you'd be good on the politician front. Who would you well, like to see? Fellow well, to replace firstly, you. The, the difficulty is, in I think in this sense, the difficulty is in finding a politician who has much in the way of athletic ability. Mm. I think because politicians usually don't come from an athletic background. Um, but, you know, they are sometimes now to a degree. I, but I would have gone with um, the person I would have gone with. And the fellow's name escapes me, but he's, uh, he's a federal poly from Western Australia who was formerly oh, Hasty? His name's Hasty, I think. He was formerly a captain in the SASR. Okay. So he would be, to me, the person to go to. And on the role, taking up Ben Wynn's role, I would have gone with um, I would have gone with uh, Ben Roberts. Ah, the yes. Australian, um, That's a good answer, actually. I like that. Victoria Cross. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, okay, very interesting one. I kind of like um, that. Um, and he probably I've, would have probably would have killed everybody on the first night and just won. Yeah, well, exactly. He walks out there, bang, 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 bang. Cool. I'm the sole it's only, survivor. It's only hasty. It's only hasty who probably would have put up a reasonable yeah. fight. <laughs> but yeah, I'd have, I've gone, done, I'd have gone with Ben Roberts to replace Ben Wynn, and I would have gone with I think it's Matthew Hasty, but he, he quite evidently anyway. He's a West Australian federal member, and he's a former captain of the SASR. So okay. I would have gone with him. Good to, good to know. I, I've i done what Matt's done and I've switched the gender of the politician. I've gone for a female politician. I'm just gone for the fact that I think she would be bloody fascinating to watch oh, out no, there. No, no, don't tell me. You're no, I'm not Lambie. going for who you think I'm going Jackie for. Lambie, aren't you? I'm going to say Jack. I thought you were going to say I'm going to say Pauline. No, I'm saying Jackie. I'm Tasmanian. I'm going to say I Jackie you Lambie. You're going to say Jackie Lambie. Come on. Imagine Jackie Lambie out there. That would be entertaining. I don't. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a bad choice. I think there's quite a bit of sustainability in that choice, actually. I just think that for television, like they, they would promote the shit out of the fact that Jackie Lambie's out there. And she was. Um, she was in the Army Reserve, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, um, and plus, we have to have our first ever Tasmanian Australian Survivor contestant. So there she is, right there. They call Jackie her Lambie. the Tasmanian Devil. Exactly. There's a um, reason behind that. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, I think I think Jackie Lambie is quite a sustainable choice. Yes, I, I will say, and um, we'll, we'll, obviously, we don't have a gender imbalance. I've, I've switched that around when it comes to that. So, moving on to original Moso, the Kim Johnson role. Now, this is an interesting one because I kind of went for someone who's not necessarily a dancer, and I know that Kim Johnson isn't a singer. But I went, and Matt's also got the same. I don't know what role Matt has got this person in in his list, but he's also added this person on the list. I've gone for the one, the only Holly Valance. Now Matt and I have talked up Holly Valance a lot um, uh, over the years. We were big Holly Valance fans back in the day. Bit of a singer, bit of an actor, but um, yeah, I she's think married to a billionaire, isn't she? Yeah, she's she's off. Uh, you know, similar to Kim Johnson. So there you go. So um, yeah, I think Holly Valance would be very interesting to bring her back and kind of see her on there. So Matt's also got Holly Valance on the list. Um, the now Fiona Horn, 
I mean, I can't really think of a famous white witch outside of Fiona, but given that Fiona was a singer in her old days, a um, bit of a rock singer, I've gone for Ella Hooper, lead singer of Killing Heidi. Like uh, I like Killing yeah. Heidi. Yeah, so I think she kind of almost but, um, fits into that role. Uh, nothing to do with any Heidis out there that I know that may be listening. Yeah, we don't want uh, to kill any Heidis. But, but I do um, actually like... Um, I'd like Killing Heidi's music. I thought that uh, Ella Hooper was extraordinary, and she was only about 16. Yeah, she was very young, and she's still very – she does a lot of media stuff. I think she's a a host now and uh, judges a lot of Australian music talent. Um, So, yeah, I'm a big Ella Hooper fan too, and I think she would be good. Uh, She would be really good at that. I think Ella Hooper is a good choice, yeah. Matt, again, Matt's got some choices here that don't even connect to anything. So I'm just going to choose another one of his females here that I can't really relate to anyone. Uh, he's got Sally Fitzgibbons, a surfer. I'd love to see Sally Fitzgibbons out there. She'd be very entertaining. Good to look at. Great entertainment, all that kind of stuff. So um, ticks all the survivor boxes, I think. So, I'm not saying that you just have to be good to look at to play. Fucking uh, Matt Dyson played survivor. He's not good to look at. So, I mean, you know. There's chances for non-good-to-look-at people. Uh, we've also, Matt and I have gone for a similar person. This, this is the flipping the gender roles. So we had Amber Petty, the entertainment reporter, of course. Uh, so I've gone for a male entertainment reporter. Matt's gone for the same person, Peter Everett. Do you remember Peter Everett? Used to, back in the day, Channel 9. He was, I mean, he was more of a lifestyle host. He didn't really do entertainment reporting, but I think he did some stuff here and there. Changing Rooms. Do you remember Changing Rooms back in the day? Well, and he hosted Ready, Steady, the Cook. Quasi, the old Quasimodo joke, yeah, the face rings a bell. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah um, he, no, look, he, he Ready, Steady, Cook. The name rings a bell, Peter Everett, but no, I can't Not say the AFL player, not Spider no. Everett, the uh, the uh, the reporter there. Um, now, this one for the uh, Justin Melvey role. Now, um, Matt's gone here. He's got – I feel Matt's got more females than males. I really need to count this up, but – I'm I'm assuming no, I'm reckoning they're probably more the Nicole Dixon role. Uh uh Nazim Hussain, I don't know where Nazim Hussain fits in. He's in a he's a comedian. He's a, an Australian comedian. Oh, this, so. is it, I thought we were gonna tell me a girl. No, well that's who Matt's I, I'm trying to balance out Matt's picks here. Cause I, I I've gone for an actor for this role, but I'm just I want to put Nazim Hussain out there because Nazim doesn't really relate to any of the other ones left here. I have gone and I think there's a bit meta in this one, of course, I feel. I've gone for Anthony LaPaglia. Now, the reason I've gone for Anthony LaPaglia, actor, an actor, LaPaglia. Justin Melvey, actor, and Jonathan LaPaglia, his brother, is the host of Survivor. So if realistically we did a celebrity Survivor, Jonathan LaPaglia would be the host. So he would be hosting his brother. So I kind of think that would be kind of meta and cool. So I'm, gone, you that, and, I'm presuming Anthony LaPaglia is Italian. Um, yeah, they've got the Italian well, heritage. I'll give you that same Justin Melvey Italian sort of Yeah, uh, good point. Stuff. Look at that. See, ticking the boxes. So yeah. I, the, 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 he's the only one I think it, he breaks my realistic um, thing because I don't think – I think Anthony LaPaglia is still a pretty big name that I don't think he would do a show like this. Um, but hey, stranger things have happened. So, uh, you never know. Nicole's role. This is where I think Matt's gone for Melissa George. Uh, of course. Uh, and I, but I would argue Melissa George is unrealistic because she's still a pretty big name. Um, but I, I like it. I, I like that. She kind of came just after Nicole did on, on home and away. So kind of that similar era. I've gone for a more modern, well, I say modern. She's been on the show, I think, only second longest to Alf, uh, to Ray Ma. I've gone for Ada Nicodemu, Leah from Home and Away. Uh, famously was also in The Matrix. People always forget she was in the, the Matrix movie. I think Ada, and similar to Nicole Dixon, 
Aiden Nicodemo just seems like a genuinely nice human being. Um, so I think Aiden Nicodemo would be good out there. And the Imogen Bailey role, so the only one I haven't gone on Matt's list, again, she doesn't really fit into Imogen Bailey, but I like this choice because I love Imogen's this woman. very small. It would be hard to fit anybody into her. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Katrina Roundtree Matt's gone for. Oh, I'd yeah, love to see great. Katrina Roundtree plays. Talk about a nice human being. I interviewed Katrina Roundtree many years ago, one of the nicest people I've ever interviewed. Such a, an amazing human being. I have to say, though, that a lot of these, a lot of these choices are... Um, uh, people who are in the same age bracket as the people you're, you're yeah, I've not factored age in to mine. I don't know if Matt has or not. I didn't go that way in mine. I tell you who I've gone for, and just because I love her and I think it would be great to see her do something again, Nikki Webster, put her out there, our our golden girl from the Sydney Olympics. She's all grown up. Put her out there in Vanuatu and see how Nikki Webster Shirley does. Shirley Temple. Exactly right. Let's have Nikki Webster out Poor there. Poor Shirley died, I think, last year. Yeah, not not like long ago. So um, there you go. What do you think of our casting for modern celebrity Survivor, David? Oh, look, one. It's I find it extraordinary that both of you, in a number of instances, came up with the same person. I mean, that yeah, does, that does say a lot about. Well, you know, I will, I will, I will be honest and say I saw Matt's list, and oh, legitimately, okay. when I saw Peter Everett and Holly Blance, I was like, yeah, okay, they're good choices. I would agree with those. I'm thinking about Rupert Everett. <laughs> hey, Rupert Everett would be fun on Survivor. Um, he's, uh, he's got to be getting on a bit like now, I said, though, I doesn't this, he? I think some of them. I was expecting more of a 2021 cast equivalent. So, like when you said like Katrina Roundtree, for example. Now, Katrina Roundtree is probably about the same sort of age as Imogen Bailey. I uh, would, yeah, and I think I think the difference is, is that if you would have this, you would have a lot more social media influencers and, yeah. you know, former reality shows. I, I, I don't know how Matt's done his, but I've gone based on basically looking at swap for swap. So it's it's a, a motorcycle racer with a motorcycle racer, an SAS yeah, yeah. guy with an SAS guy, football player. And, like, again, it wouldn't be done that way now. It You know, we see that um, – but um, yeah, it's going to be I, a lot I of think people off Instagram these days. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, but it's a fun little thing. That's a and props to Matt Dyson for coming up with that idea. I a couple of things to to wrap up, and I'll, I'll leave you with a final question because I, I want to kind of leave this episode with some final thoughts on on your season. But just closing out, a couple of things that I will just say in closing this out, and I'll, I'll do a bit of a preview ahead to what we're doing next year on ASA. I just want to quickly touch on the interviews that we've been lucky enough to do with the, the seven of you that we've had in terms of uh, former contestants. We've also, of course, had uh, David Mason on the show and Jay Stewart to kind of give a behind-the-scenes aspect of it as well. But I just I went into this not knowing who we were going to get from this season. And even if we found people like, are you really going to want to talk about this all these years later? But we also went into this season really not knowing anything. This was the one season we always said – we know very limited things about this season. This is going to be the season we're going to get educated on from little things like luxury items to the truth behind Justin Melby bribing people and all these kind of things. Like I, I I just, I don't think we're going to get a more complete season of ASA of being educated as well as we will for this season. And I, I, I've loved every second of it because all the stories that each of our guests have told on this have really added a new element and makes me look at your season completely differently. So I, I want to thank uh, right now every single one of our guests, and I will go through them every one, one by one, uh, to David Mason, the EP, obviously. Great to have him on to, to learn about everything and then to come back on to the reunion. To Kim Johnson-Herjavac, who 
probably was one of the ones that I thought we would never get on. And Kim gave a great chat. I really love Kim and her insight and everything and kind of defending her game, uh, you know, as much as that maybe sounds a bit silly that you would think Kim wouldn't defend it because clearly she didn't want to be there, but she did. And I, I loved hearing that. To Fiona, Fiona Horn, um, very insightful as, as all they were kind of and really learning about how devastated she was getting voted out, how hard that was for her uh, to get voted out of the game. To Amber Petty, I had the pleasure of interviewing Amber a couple of years ago on another one of our shows, but uh, Amber just always brings a barrel of fun to these shows and, of course, on the reunion. To Wayne Gardner, uh, you know, as I say, maybe the biggest celebrity of this season. As a motor racing fan, it was an honour to interview Wayne Gardner in any capacity and... Uh, as he kind of talked about, this is something that no one talks to him about. Every interview he does is about motorcycle racing and this, that, and everything else. So something completely different for Wayne, and we loved having him on the show. Jay Stewart, the composer of the theme, we've uh, lucked into two seasons now with having both the composers on and learning a lot about the thought process into the theme and the score and everything like that, which was really great. Uh, And then to yourself, David, uh, you know, you and I first came into contact a couple of years ago when we were sort of looking at getting some old school players on one of my other shows and we're never able to sort of get you uh, knuckled down into getting on, but to finally do it, great insight. We've talked you up a lot and we really appreciated that. The The, the surprise one for me was Justin Melvey. Final checks in the mail too. Good, the yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, Justin Melvey, because, uh, I mean, again, he's one that we spent a majority of this season not being able to find. I lucked into finding him. I found a random phone number, happened to be his, and maybe I'm, you know, I'm not even going to apologize for saying this when I've got somebody on the line right now who I uh, maybe am going against what I've said, but maybe my favorite interview of the season was the Justin Melvey interview. Uh, And to Guy, of course, uh, the winner, our first winner we've had on the show, uh, great Great to chat to him, to learn that he's still so passionate about the show and just everybody for coming on the reunion, of course, and just the educating that we got from this season. Really such a pleasure to be able to chat to all of you and everything along those lines to learn everything. And to the ones that we ultimately weren't able to get, we've tracked down four of the five. The only, Literally the only person we have no clue still to this day where they are is Ben Wynn. Uh, but we've had conversations with uh, Nicole, uh, well, through Elton's family, I guess. We've never directly talked to Elton and through Imogen. Um, we're hopeful that ultimately they will come down. We've tracked down Gabby, uh, but we've received no response. But we're, we're still never going to give up. <laughs> we will always try, uh, even if it's in five years' time, we finally get the uh, the Gabrielle Richens interview. We will still uh, aim to do it. Actually, I'm talking about season two right now, so I'll, I'll do my season three preview in just a second while we're on the topic. Final thoughts, David. I mean, this is kind of not necessarily on your game, but just the season in general. Like, can you have anything to say or add to anything we've already touched on? Just the the, the positioning of your season in Australian Survivor, folklore, legacy, anything. Like, just any final thoughts you have that you want to get out right now as we wrap up your season on Australian Survivor Archives? Only perhaps to reiterate something that I have spoken of before, um, and in, I'll preface that with um, there's not a lot of stuff that I really like very much, and I'm, I'm very much a homebody. I very much deal in, in truth and in pragmatism. If nothing else, I'm very much a pragmatist. And I'm very in touch with my own emotions and my, my own... Um, lackings um but i so i need to say this even though i've kind of said it before in fact i've very much said it before 
The Survivor that we did in the sense of reality TV was put together in a very genuine sense and was not produced and there was no coercion that certainly I came into contact with. Um, my experiences since then with four other reality TV shows is that they're not even vaguely should they be considered reality. They are virtually scripted, produced, final, edited television shows that for all intensive purposes uh, could be on Netflix as a, a television series. They're, they're, not, they're not reality at all. And I'm, I'm sorry that reality has gone that way, that reality has really turned into just a produced television show. Um, because that stops it from being reality in every sense. It becomes something that the producers are trying to create for what they think will draw an audience. And if the audience is not interested in reality, then they shouldn't be drawn to these shows. They're certainly, if they are interested in reality, that's not what they're getting. So, you know, the next time anyone sort of watches um, pretty much any reality show, certainly that I've seen and had anything to do with, don't think of it as a reality show. It's, it's, uh, it, they're all supposed to be entertainment. If it wasn't for entertainment, they wouldn't be produced because it's all about making money and advertisers and people watching these things. But don't think what you're watching is a reality TV show. I think reality TV is largely dead with the exception probably still, I guess, of Survivor today. I, I'm not aware of another show that is really reality television. So I'm, I'm glad that the, the season that I did um, was done early enough in the life of what reality television is that it was actually reality television, that it wasn't scripted, wasn't produced. We didn't have people in our ears telling us, go over and speak to so-and-so and why don't you say this to them? We didn't have any of that taking place. So I'm glad and grateful in that sense to have been able to be a part of that show and it remains my favourite reality TV show. Great, great summary. And I think, too, that the one thing that is always important to note, particularly because this is going to be real the last time we're ever talking about a season of Survivor that was kind of almost in this still very fresh era of reality TV. Obviously, by 2006, it was a bit more of a well-oiled machine than it was when we were covering a 2002 season, but... You know, Channel 10 Survivor is, is 16 years, 17 years into this reality TV craze. It's, it's as much part of the television landscape as a sitcom was at one point and, and a drama and things like that. So it's still kind of very fresh and real and raw. And one thing I want to say kind of, and going back to the legacy aspect, is that your season is the last season of Australian Survivor where I feel we've got real players. And like the way I say that is that a lot of what my issues will be with Channel 10 version is that you have students of Survivor who are playing the game. They've been watching it for 16 years. They know the game back to front. They know what a confessional is to get on TV. They know what a one-liner is that's going to get them on that week's commercial. They know what's going to be trending on social media. They know how to play up to things and that. And that's not always a bad thing. I don't mind that to a level but I'm an old school Survivor fan. I like it when things are natural and they don't feel forced. I talked a lot about Justin on this season as somebody who's an actor who, 
He's clearly, when he's delivering a confessional, he's being a bit dramatic, he's being a bit actory, and I like that. But that's because that's what his profession is. He's kind of good with that. And then I go back to season one with Rob Dixon, who is clearly hamming it up a bit for the cameras, you know, but there's a level of naturally hamming it up for the cameras and being so obvious that you're hamming it up for the cameras just to get a soundbite in. And that's where I'll have a lot of problems with Channel 10. So I feel this is the last opportunity we have on this show to really talk about a real classic Survivor that is in my fan level of what I personally like. I'm not saying I don't like the Channel 10 seasons. Of course I like the Channel 10 seasons, and I'm very happy that we've got now a successful version of Australian Survivor that is going from strength to strength, and that even some Survivor fans say is currently the best Survivor in the world. But it's still, personally, my personal taste is... I've watched Survivor since day dot. I've been there from the beginning. I know what this show was like from the start, and that's personally my preference. I still can watch Survivor today. I can still enjoy it, but it's not on the same level. So one thing I'll also add on that is this is maybe the last season that you'll ever get Ben Waterworth being mainly positive. Moving forward, I'm probably going to be a bit more negative on how Survivor is put together. So um, I'm just going to say that. But... I I like your summary, David, because I, I do think that, you know, reality TV in 2006 was much more real than reality TV is from 2016 onwards. And that's important to note. Um, and a lot of our listeners are probably of an age that in 2006, they were very young uh, and they weren't watching TV back then. And that's fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Our job here on ASA is to kind of bring some context and some history to Survivor and to give you a feel of what it was like back when Survivor was still around. And we hope that maybe we've been able to give some people who weren't around back then an insight into what it was like. So I just want to say on the final note on season two is that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed covering it. It's made me, just like it did with season one, it's made me appreciate the season a whole lot more and... I just think it's so important that it is recognized as a season of Survivor. It happened. You played Survivor. You had the word Survivor on your buff. You went out there to win money for a charity, but also to play there. All intensive purposes, as I've said multiple times, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Looks like Survivor, plays like Survivor, it's Survivor. So I hope, David, that uh, on behalf of ASA, to you and your cast and everybody involved in your season that we've been able to at least put you in the limelight for a little bit to acknowledge your season's existence. I think that for the people that are interested in this, and obviously there's a a core of those who live and breathe, and those people are, you know, the beating heart of Survivor in the sense of how rusted on they are to it, and they're purists and they love it. And, you know, through the efforts that you guys have undertaken from what I've seen, they might one day come around to enjoying our season and seeing our season for what it was in better context to the way it is currently seen. And if that is to happen, it will only have been as a consequence of the work that you both have done. I appreciate that, David. Thank you very much. Um, Looking ahead to season three. So what will happen now, of course, as we did at the end of our season one, we, we sort of look ahead to season three now. So our first Channel 10 season, 2016, for those playing at home. Look, as I just said in my little rant there about how, you know, obviously the, the era that I'm most critical of, but I'm looking forward to kind of getting into an era where 
for the most part, you know, a lot of the things that will be talked about are known. There's going to be a lot more information for us to be able to talk about. It's still very fresh on the minds. Obviously, it's going to come back in 2022 when we return. It's only six years old at that point. This is going to be the most freshest season we can do at that point moving forward, of course. And it's going to be very fascinating to get the players on the show because these are players who played in the social media age. They're playing in the podcast age. These aren't things that we're having to track down people who haven't talked about this in decades. These are people who are still frequent commenters on Survivor to this day. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to getting that insight and kind of learning about it because Obviously, it's going to be a bit more of a stretch for us moving forward. We've just done a season where there's only 12 episodes. There's only 12 players that we've talked about. Season one, there was 14 episodes and 16 players. Moving forward, we're doing seasons with 25 episodes, 26 in some seasons, 24 players in each season. There's a lot more coverage for us to get through. So there's a lot more to cover. But I'm, I'm... As much as I will say I'm sad that we're moving into Channel 10 and the fact that my whole goal of this show of being a part of it was to acknowledge the Channel 9 and Channel 7 versions and now we're kind of moving into the era that everybody knows about, I'm also very excited because I want to make a new appreciation for these seasons for myself personally. I've never re-watched these seasons. I've only ever watched these seasons once when they aired. So it's always different when you re-watch a season, know who wins, know who finishes wherever and can make a different appreciation for it. So... I'm looking forward to it. I know that this will be, from this point on, we'll probably get more listeners and more people tuning in because we're doing the seasons that people are familiar with. And I'm looking forward to the guests because a lot of these players I have interviewed in the past. So there are, we're now moving into an era where I've actually been fortunate enough to chat to a lot of these people. So it's going to be interesting to kind of get reflections on a game they played fairly recently, but still enough time has passed. So I'm looking forward to it. I will say as a uh, in terms of our coverage that we may be taking a few more months off than we did between season one and season two, because obviously there's going to be a lot more planning involved in this. We we got a lot more episodes to do and a lot more interviews to do, so there'll be a lot more planning with it. Uh, so bear with us when it comes to that, but we will return at some point in 2022 to fully cover this season. We just might be away for a few months, essentially, before you do hear from us again. But Bring it on, I say. Bring on Channel 10. Bring on that season. And Matt Dyson is going to be excited because we're at his era. We're, we're only a couple of seasons away from his season where I get to sit down with him for a few hours and grill him on why he sucks so much. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Are you tempted at all, David, to... I know you're a busy man, but, I mean, you know, I don't. you, you don't listen to our show. No one does. But would you be tempted to you know, listen along and kind of maybe watch some of these modern Survivor episodes to see the game and how it's developed and everything along those lines? Look, yes, to a degree, but you know, I'm not going to BS you. I would, I'd be more interested in listening to your podcasts probably than necessarily seeing the shows. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very caught up with the issues surrounding my children and being a single dad. Um, so I just don't. As I never watch free-to-air television, um, I just don't. But I would be more inclined. There's a lot of what you've done with the season that you've just done with our um, celebrity season that I want to catch up on. Um, I just haven't gotten around to it. And I'm not sure when I will. I've got another 12 months ahead of me of legal battles and it does tend to take away any desires that you have for entertainment in many respects. Well, I mean, I would loosely use the word entertainment there, David. Um, Well... There are only two reasons to ever listen or watch anything, and that is for um, information or for entertainment. 
So take a take a while to catch up to us because we don't really provide anything on this show out of those two. So maybe one day, maybe we'll get better next season. Who knows? Um, just some final thanks I want to point out there. Obviously, I said thanks to all the guests, um, to to everyone who's been involved in this show throughout this season, to to all our listeners. Uh, seriously, it means a lot to us that you're stuck with us through this season. Uh, you know, we obviously sort of we're always unsure of how this season would pan out with the the feedback and the listeners because. Season one, even though it was forgotten about, we still feel that enough people out there had opinions on it, whereas this season was like, okay, well, how's this going to go? And we've been blown away by the the feedback and the support that we have gotten, so we do really appreciate it. Obviously, we've had a few breaks in between this season. We realise that, that it's kind of been a very skewish season. My life has gone weird directions this year. Matt's life's gone weird directions this year, hence why we've had, you know, about three or four significant breaks in between. So we apologise for how that's played out. Again, as I said, there's a few people that we obviously haven't done from this season. We're, we're, while we're closing this off right now to move on to season three, if halfway through next year, Dicko gives me a call, goes, hello, Ben, I want to come on the show. Like, we'll, we'll have him on that week. So, you know, it's we're not going to purely just forget about this season if all of a sudden that happens. So, things like that. But thanks to listeners, everyone on social media, and... In all sincere fact, I, I am I'm very sad that Matt wasn't able to join us today. I, I I literally did not want to do this without him. I feel weird without Matt not being on the show. And you know, and I'm not trying to say this in a way that is taking a, a stab at Matt, but I, I, I held off and did everything I could to try and make this with Matt. But it's just it's a busy part of his life right now. It's a busy time of the year. We are recording this a week out from Christmas for to date this episode. So obviously I understand that. But at the end of the day, we needed to get an episode out to close this so we could close it out in style. And I, I really am sad that Matt couldn't be on this show. So I want to personally, I, I take the piss out of the guy. I make fun of him, all those kind of things. But sincerely, we could not have this show without Matt Dyson. It feels weird having an episode without Matt. I do so many other podcasts where I don't have all the co-hosts on them and I can do episodes without them. But this just feels weird not doing it without Matt. So Matt, thank you for all your contributions, everything that you've done uh, throughout this season. And I really do look forward to getting him back on next season and hopefully being on every single episode as well. David, thank you. Thank you so much. This is the third time you've been on the show. Uh, this episode has gotten a lot longer than I thought it was, but uh, I think we've covered a lot. But um, really do appreciate the time that you have given us, obviously in some trying times in your personal life at the moment. So it means a lot more to us that you've been able to give us that time and, and come on and talk about a small part of your life 15 years ago. But uh, I, I want to say one final thank you for, for everything that you've been involved with on, on this show throughout this season. It's been entirely my pleasure, Ben. Thank you for having me. And your last thing, what song are we closing out on, David Oldfield? Oh, God. (laughs) Are we talking like an upbeat song? You can choose anything. It can be any song you want. Just not Taylor Swift. Please not Taylor Swift. Oh, no, no. Why don't you go with Barracuda from Heart? Hey, yes. I like that. Good song. We'll close it out on that. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back in 2022 to cover Season 3 of Australian Survivor. Until we next speak again, my name is Ben and Ben Waterworth out.
Kuda.